Hey, hey, welcome back to season two of Falling Out. If you're here listening to this, it means that I have made it to 6 p.m. on the 6th of June and somehow miraculously all of the spirits in the spirit world that could have struck me down for the evil work that I've been doing, somehow they failed to do it. Huh. Imagine that. Imagine that. I'm still here, still doing this. I'm so excited because I think we picked up a whole lot of new listeners because there's been some stuff happening on Twitter. That's been fantastic. And I want to say something right up front. Um, For anyone who's new here, I need to address this now. This episode is different from the standard falling out formula. This episode is a group episode that brings back everyone from season one to talk about some of the highlights and some of the things that they learned and some of the things that they wanted to ask in a massive three-hour interview. And this was amazing. I had so much fun doing this and I can't wait to share it with everyone. But if you are new here and this is your first time, I can understand you might want to skip this. Three hours is a big commitment and you might not know these voices. If so, that's fine. What I don't want you to do is miss out on the next episode. And that's because and I have said this before, but I'm staying it again now. The next episode, season two, episode two, which is going to come out on Tuesday, the 15th of June, is the most important episode that I have ever done. And the reason it is the most important episode and the reason that I shuffled my entire publishing order for this whole season in the span of a week to get this out quick is because that episode has a tape, a tape from the 80s. I'm going to play 10 or 15 seconds of it in a few moments, and we're going to listen to the entire thing with one of the girls that's on this tape and dissect it in detail on Season 2, Episode 2. This tape is from a church-run facility in the 80s where kids were abandoned by their parents and lived in for, in some cases, the span of their entire early childhood. The Unification Church coerced parents to give up their kids to live in these places so the church could then profit from the labor of the parents while their kids were in these centralized childcare facilities. I have a tape. I'm going to play you 10 seconds of it now. Honestly, the tape is monumental. I, I, I can't express how much it shook me to listen to that thing. And I should say, if anyone else has any other documentary evidence, talk to me. I would love to talk to you and see if we can put it out there and make people aware of the horrors of the Unification Church and other cults. Yeah, I'm just putting that out there. Putting it out in the universe and seeing what happens. Okay. I spent too much on that topic. I want to guide people through what's changing this season and what they can expect. So when I first started this, it was just me on my own. I could only connect with the people that were one step removed from me. Now, after going public with this, the number of people that are one step removed from me has multiplied tremendously, which has put me in the fortunate position of, of being contacted by people that just have a lot more different perspectives than I was able to offer in the first season. And I'm so excited because 
this season, that means we're going to be exploring just different facets of some of the stuff we did we did last season. So this season, we have lined up a so-called offering child, someone whose parents were either volunteered and or coerced into giving their child to another parent. Just let that sink in. Yes, that happened. We have someone from the queer community, which is great. I wanted to get the queer perspective last time around, but I couldn't. This time, we've got it. And I think that's a really important piece of the Mooney childhood experience is that because it's so antithetical to this heteronormative structure that all of us second generation kids were brought up within. I also wanted to add more geographic diversity. So we've got people who can address the European perspective coming up. And beyond that, people from other cults are in line for this season too. So one in particular from another cult that has ties back into the Moonies, which is fascinating. Another person uh, third generation cult member who just left within the last couple of years. That's going to be a great interview. So it's kind of changing, changing it a bit, but and just trying to expand upon some of the ideas that were touched upon last time around. The other thing is we're doing more group interviews, getting more people involved. And yeah, I just think it's going to be an evolutionary step for falling out. And one more thing to add, I'm delighted to say that this season, a fan favorite from season one, Miss Donna Archer Cervelli, is now part of Team Falling Out. She's helping me out with a bunch of stuff behind the scenes and from time to time in front of the scenes as well. I, it's kind of amazing. When I first started this, believe me, organization was non-existent. Now, thanks to Donna, we got we got like a gazillion spreadsheets and schedules and, and all kinds of shit. It's, it's, it's amazing. So she's helping out big time. And yeah, I just want to say thank you, Donna. Okay, let's talk about this episode very quickly. Like I said, this is a group interview. It was amazing to do this. I just feel like I made so many good friends with the people from season one. I've made friends for life and I love these people. And I'm just so happy that they're a part of my life and that we could have this conversation and share it with the listeners. Please note that this was, you know, seven guests plus me. So eight people Spread across three different time zones. If you've ever been on a group Zoom call, you'll know sometimes doors open, sometimes babies cry, sometimes dogs bark. It happens. That's just part of it's part of the fabric of life when you're doing something like this. Also, in some places, there were some things that I and some of the other folks decided needed to come out. So it'll jump around in some places. My apologies. I tried the best I could to kind of stitch it together in a way that would make sense. Without further ado, here it is. Falling Out, Season 2, Episode 1, The Fucked Up Brady Bunch. Cool. Uh, right, well, let's get started. Um, thank you, everyone, for being here. This is this is a real, real pleasure, a real treat to have uh everyone from season one back for the beginning of season two um and i'm i'm just delighted that that we could arrange this with everyone and um i guess the reason that i wanted to bring everyone together in this in this format is, is i've i've spoken with almost everyone after the publication of their episodes and they've come to me and said hey people have you know approached me and and said x about how this has impacted their life um and i've kind of aggregated a lot, a lot of that feedback on, on my own but i thought it would be awesome for people to hear that directly from from each of you um and that's why i wanted to bring everyone here today is to 
kind of tell people what the impact has, has, has been. And I just think it's better hearing it from you as opposed to hearing it, hearing it from me. Um, I got some questions for everyone as well. Um, and specifically, well, number one, it's, it's that like, ha- has anyone contacted you and what has that contact contact been since publication? Uh, and number two, um, what would you like to ask, pick one person uh, of, of the other people and ask them a question about their interview? Um, uh, something that you wanted to learn more about, just because I know that there are some things that I just didn't cover well enough, or we just didn't have time time to do. And I feel like there's loads of places to, to dive into. So I want to give everyone the opportunity to ask someone else a question to, for, for more detail. And then finally, um, what is, what's kind of the most interesting and or shocking or funniest thing that you learned from someone else's interview? Um, there's going to be other questions as well, but that's kind of the format. That's what I'm going for here. And yeah, I just want to started off with that. So thank you everyone for coming. Also, when you first talk, say your name so people can, can associate the voice with the, with the individual. Um, so uh, again, thank you everyone for being here with that. I'm going to pass it off to the first person, first interview to be aired, which was with Donna. Donna, over to you. Hey guys, how you doing? Oh man, there's so much to unpack in these questions. Um, actually, can everyone just say hi, just so people know what, just, just like everyone just say hi, just, Hey, Hello. Hey. if people are listening, they could just think it was just me like talking for that whole, that whole time period, but like, there are actually other people here. So just want to say, you're just faking it. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) Also waiting for you to do our voices. Yeah, exactly. This whole thing has just been a charade from the beginning. What are those puppets? Mm -hmm. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. It's so cool, like, being here and seeing everybody's faces. It's, like, this really fucked up Brady Bunch picture of, like, (laughs) all the wonderful, like, the spectrum of, like, the cult experience. Um, So I'm Donna. I I was from episode one, um, one and two. Um, has anyone contacted me after the interview? Um, I would say a couple people have reached out, um, mostly people that I either went to school with or just who I knew from back in the day or just randomly knew from the social, the social media world. And um, I think one of the biggest things that came out of those contacts was just a validation of how important it is to kind of share that story. Um, it was also really interesting to see the reaction to my stories through somebody else's eyes. You know, I think through the telling of it, you know, it happened to you, it happened to me, you know, and until you say it out loud and people react to it and they're like, wow, that was really fucked up. I can't, I can't believe that happened. And I can't believe like, this is the trajectory of your life. And it wasn't until that moment that I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Maybe there is something here and there is value in, in speaking out. Um, but I think it was also great because then, you know, it was easy enough to relate to people and say, you know, yes, this happened, but here I am and I'm on the other end of it. And I think it was cathartic in a couple instances because we were really able to talk out some of the similar things that happened to them. And I think, you know, just from being in a high demand group, there was such a mask that everybody was wearing where it was like, you had to be a certain way in front of everybody and then you have all these other feelings underneath that you can never let out and it was just really nice to kind of meet people on the other side of being in the cult you know like people on the other side of the noonies so I mean that was pretty cool um do we want to go into sex 
two and three, or is it just going to be like a round robin? No, well, yeah. Does anyone have any anything to, to say about that? I mean, I, that's something a lot. I mean, what's happened? A lot of people have contacted me about a lot of things, but I would say one of the main mm-hmm. things is just people people who grew up in the group like us being like, oh my god, it's great to just hear these. Like this happened to other people. This was real. This this was real abuse that we suffered, and just the fact that other people experienced it and like a they're okay now but also also it was it was traumatic for them to go through as well so like i've just i've just heard a lot of people come to me and say thank you so much for um you know just for offering this forum for for doing this because people are finding it really cathartic to to hear these stories um so i also have to say thank you to everyone here for being for being involved in that as well um because it's been yeah i mean the like the feedback that i've gotten has been has been incredible like every week people are coming forward and saying, thank you so much. This has really kind of helped me to process whatever I've been through basically. Um, yeah, this is Jenna. Mm-hmm. I was actually one of the people that reached out to Donna because I think I heard your episode before I talked to Elgin and, and hearing your story about New Eden was so affirming for me because I went to New Eden the year after you and I was like, oh my God, it was a fever dream. Like I doubted so much of my own experience. So our conversation was super helpful for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think so for me too, because I always felt like the odd person out. Like, and then you just don't realize, like, because there was a lot of bullying and there was a lot of like, um, you know, things that had happened. And I think just to hear somebody went through through that, it's very validating. It's almost like a confirmation that no, my my experience was correct because somebody else shared it. You know, and you know, I'm sorry that you experienced something similar, but. You know, it's it's nice to kind of have a have a partner in that. Yeah, um, I, th- I think the organization, really or basically the, what the our entire mm-hmm. lives, the organization like encourage you to gaslight yourself and be like, no, this doubt isn't real. This this thing that happened to me wasn't really that bad. I'm making it worse than it worse than it was. That's that's what the organization does to you from basically from from birth. Uh, or in Aries, in Aries case from um, Bibimbap. Seventh grade. Um, <laughs> um, 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 but, um, uh, you know, it's like, that's part of it, right? And I just, I, I guess, I, even, you know, when I started this, I didn't really know exactly what the, like, what was going to happen or how it was going to impact people. But, I, and and that right there, I, I don't think that's one thing that I could have articulated as, as a reason for doing it. But it's kind of, I think maybe deep down, that's kind of one why I wanted to do it was because I wanted to, like, Un, help people ungaslight themselves basically i mean I'll, I'll be honest when i recorded with you and when i listened back to it i felt like um you know i'm telling all my own stories and you like like she said you've heard your own story so many times that you're like oh poor me blah 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 like why is this interesting to anyone and then i listened to donna's story and i had this fucking righteous anger when she was telling talking about uh the dean's wife like getting her out of bed in the middle of the night and not even addressing her situation, but just straight up, like putting her on a bus and kicking her out. And uh, I had this, I was just so fucking angry listening to that. And then I thought like, well, if, if her story is affecting me like this, you know, maybe mine is affecting other people like this as well. Um, and again, I think we all have our own, like the connections of people we know in Donna's story specifically, I knew the guy on the other side of her story was from where I was from. And I only knew his perspective mm-hmm. and how the community treated him. And um, to hear her her story, like it it made the whole it it made the whole picture clear to me. So to me, her her story was um, was like made me feel better about sharing my own. 
And on the point of righteous anger, like I was listening to Faith's story and I reached out to you, Faith, like in the middle of it, because I was having like a rage attack when I found out that your parents wouldn't teach you how to drive. And they did that to my sister. And I was like, oh, my God, these control tactics in these abusive families were so similar. And I normalized it in my family. So hearing that it happened to somebody else and having that rage reaction realized like I have atonement to do like with my own sister about her experience. Because if I feel that anger about faith's experience, I have to feel it for my sister too. So there's like so many layers of healing and realization that go on when we hear these stories. I didn't even realize yet that that's, I didn't know that, but yeah, it's crazy that that happened in your family too. Like not letting, not the wait. So they just didn't teach the girls to drive in your no, they, they taught, they, they sent me to driver's ed. They refused to let my sister take driver's okay. ed. So like a, a local parent had to teach my sister how to drive, like not even a church member. It was like her friend's dad. And then her friend's dad had to take her to the driver's test and stuff. Like I was the compliant one. So they would teach me what they needed so that they could oh. use me. But because my sister was rebellious and had her own oh, mind, they okay. were like, nope, we're going to suppress you in every way we okay. can. Okay. So that was the, mm-hmm. that was like the distinguishing factor between you two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I ask you, Jen, yeah. uh, this is Teddy. Uh, if, if, is your sister the next one down from you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's the exact scenario in my family. My oldest brother is like the compliant one who like was parentified. And then that, the next one down. in a way, he, I feel like he kind of spoiled him in a way, like, cause he was like, he realized really young that he had to take care of the next one down because there was no parent around to do that. So um, maybe he gave him a little too much and, you know, um, but yeah, I think it also just really, it, there were no boundaries. There was no, it's like, uh, what's the structure here, you know? And so my oldest brother just impulsively will fill in and help people. And, you know, I, th- he recognizes it's a bad habit that he has to work on, but uh yeah, I think that's the case in a lot of families. And it might also have to do with it being an Asian cult, like that it's kind of the hierarchy thing, you know, um, from that culture. So, yeah. Well, I don't want to speak for faith, but the, what I what I got from your story was like way more abusive than just the parentification aspect. And I don't know the structure in your family about like, are you the oldest? Yeah, um, this is faith. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for me, I'm, I'm the oldest. I have a younger brother and a youngest sister. And it was sort of like, um, blatant sexism was very normal for both of my parents in their families before they joined the church. And I almost feel like the sexism that was inherent in the church culture is part of what made them so comfortable joining and staying in it. So they taught my brother how to drive, um, and just looked at me like I was insane when I asked to drive and like there was a point where my dad gave me a driving lesson but intentionally waited until it, it was like two feet of snow with a layer of ice in a stick shift and when I couldn't start the stick shift he's like see this is why I don't give you driving lessons and like wow you know just like wanted to feed that narrative that women shouldn't drive and like aren't capable of driving or, or having their own income or anything and they say that still about my younger sister like she'll never be able to drive like she just her brain can't do it, you know? So it's very like a sexist thing. Yeah. What, what, oh, I'm sorry. Um, just real quick. Uh, what, what Jen, what you said in your interview really hit home. Like, and I know you, you use that, uh, you quote that a lot when Reverend Moon was like, if your wife doesn't blah, 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 then like shove her vagina full of concrete. Oh God. 
like she and then in the fact that you said like you read that in the morning as part of the morning service or hundake it's just like this happened and we all just normalize this like well we should listen to this guy he's like our provider more or less so he's our president yeah so crazy yeah, I think that Hundike was like fucking Mad Libs, bro. Honestly, thinking back on the stuff we read at like five in the morning, <laughs> if your wife is blah, 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 and you're just like saying it like it's normal shit. Yeah, yeah it's insane. Yeah, and I think that played out in New Eden also. Uh, I remember one of the, guy, one of the guys there, because uh, so I, I was dorming at New Eden uh, because they had extra rooms for University of Bridgeport students. And because I got the hookup at Bridgeport, I went there for two years. So I stayed in the New Eden dorm. And I remember one of them was like, Oh man, like father or Sun Young Moon, he he brought like an overweight woman on stage, or he said like a fat girl to the stage and said, like, look at this, like what man wants this? And like they were all laughing about it. And just I put that in an article that I contributed to the Huffington Post is like, this is how the church views women. That's this is how the leader views women. So as objects, you know. Anyway. I mean, he was desirable. It took four to, to lock him down, right? Right. <laughs> Four wives for him to. Yeah, he was a real prize. <laughs> All right, Donna, let's let's go back. I like I want to keep these digressions going, yeah. but I also want to give you a chance. So, um, yeah, like so the 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 second part of like yeah, what who would you if you could ask one question of someone else to to kind of dive in and get more more detail on one specific situation or one one specific thing that was talked about? What what would it be? You mean well, like just, one question and one question? You get one question. Because I feel like <laughs> I feel like it brought up so many things. It's it's hard to choose, quite honestly, because there were so many points in so many um of the interviews where it was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like mm. that can't be real. Um I guess I guess the person that I'm most curious about really is Arab. Um, because for me, you know, I, I didn't know very many, like, Jacob's children, I guess, people who had um, joined the church afterwards. And for me, like, I almost was jealous of the individuals who were Jacob's children because their parents had, one, like, made a choice, like, later on. And there was almost a certain envy of me because, you know, like, you almost didn't have the responsibility you know, of like going to get blessed and like carrying on this like third generation. So I think there was this envy and this recognition, but it wasn't until I had really listened to your interview that I thought about the, the inverse, you know, of how odd it must be to be in this like area where, you know, you're with other supposedly blessed, unblessed children. Um, I guess, you know, I guess it's really like, one, it, it's kind of like an admiration that you've, you've continued these relationships with, with people. And I guess the biggest question is, like, how do you how do you like maintain friendships with with people who are still in the church without and, and still remain neutral in, in their beliefs? You know, um, it's it's not always easy for sure. But mm-hmm. uh, I just feel like so many people have given me a chance in my life that I want to give people a mm-hmm. chance Um you know, it took a lot of people talking to me and kind of pouring their hearts out for me to start changing, you know, like when, when my brother came out for him to start telling church people that he was gay, like he put himself on the line. Um, and that ins- kind of inspires me to put myself on the line for people that I don't agree with, you know, 
Um, mm-hmm. And also, I don't mind arguing with people. I mean, Akina can tell you I fucking enjoy it. So um, I love to confront people and be like, why do you like Donald Trump? Why don't you love your kids, but you love Reverend Moon? Like, I'd like that. Um, I don't know. I'm a fucking weirdo. But uh no, there's so much respect there, you know, because I think I think a lot of it for me, it's like it's really difficult to to listen to these things. And, you know, just maybe it's where you are in your journey and in terms of like leaving and processing. But for me, it's incredibly hard to like listen to church people talk. And, you know, it, it's <laughs> definitely can't. a certain it, I have no patience yeah, for it. Yeah. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. No patience. Just yeah. not even going to. Nope. Yeah. I mean, the other yeah, aspect is. Yeah. I've learned, I learned because of the church and not having a mom to internalize everything. So I don't even really blame them. So I think part of why I can have conversations with them is because I internalized everything myself. And, you know, uh, I don't have like, if I can't have a conversation with the moon, if I was to sit down with Sean moon, I'd fucking smack him in the face. We couldn't have a conversation, but I think because I see, these church adults as people that were also victimized in a lot of cases. And I mean, this is just some church adults. There's some I don't fuck with period because I know they're terrible people. I know they're just as, as guilty as the moons, but for the most part, I feel like a lot of them were uh, played just like I was played. Honestly. Um, I mean, you could tell just by meeting them that they're a little fucking, you know what I mean? Uh, cuckoo. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I guess I just listened to your, your interview and, you know, you just mentioned you keep it kept in touch. And I just had so much admiration for that, you know, for the patience and for, for the understanding that must take um, to have those discussions and to continue the, to follow those lines of thought. So that's really I mean, awesome. don't get it twisted. I applaud you, man. Me and Akina mm-hmm. have therapy, you know, we get drunk and talk shit. Like it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not like I'm this holy person, but we get fucked up and talk all kinds of cheese muscle, but yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no, no. Respect that a lot. And what would you say, Donna, going to the next one? Like what what's well, kind of like the most shocking thing or the most uh I don't know, most impactful thing that you heard? That's I feel like that's kind of hard because there's a lot. We're talking about like, you know, fifteen to eighteen hours of interviews. But yeah, I'm just kinda wondering if you could pick one thing. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot. I mean, I, I honestly I think the one I think the moments that stood out for me the most was because I didn't go to STF. I didn't um, go on those fundraising bands. I think the most gut-wrenching parts for me were, you know, Jen's story where you talked about going on STF and sleeping in those bands and, you know, having those experiences. And it, I knew that was happening. I knew that STF was happening. But when you hear somebody talk about it, um, it's just like this really visceral reaction where, you know, I, I just want to, I just want to scream out loud, just like, you know, you're trafficking, you're, you're trafficking these children and you're putting them in harm's way and they don't know any better. Um, You're not giving them any tools for protection. You're not giving them any oversight. You're just, you know, forcing them into making that money. And I think Elgin, when you did that calculation on the amount of money that Jen was bringing in, you know, just on like, you know, back of the envelope calculation, Mm -hmm it really viscerally stuck me like how much this organization is profiting off the labor and off the sacrifice and off the faith of these members and not only just members, but children, you know? And, um, you know, that, that was the moment where I was like, fuck these guys, let's burn everything down. Mm -hmm. 
but at the same time, it's like, you know, it's, it's also a lot of pity because these parents are putting their children into that situation and, you know, just the whole the, the trauma and the divisiveness that's causing in families. And, you know, I think, I think that's a big part of it. Just, just that we are such a commodity to them mm-hmm. um, that they're willing to put us in harm's way. And I think that's, I think that's the part that's sickening me the most, you know, when it really gets down to brass tacks, like they are thinking about the bottom line yeah. and this, it has continued. Like my mom was on MFT. She was on MFT for like five years and she was a Japanese immigrant and she came to the United States, did not speak a lick of English. And she lived in vans for five years, like fundraising across the United States. And, you know, just the fact that this has been going on for, you know, since what the seventies and just how much money has been made on the backs of faith and hope and idealism it just it it just makes me sick so yeah i um um, after i recorded and released that that episode i i was thinking if i had to do it all over again i would i would probably have stated like somewhere somewhere someone could calculate the number that that girl died for there's a, there's a dollar amount out there um, that she died for. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but you, you could figure that out if, if, you, if you went back through all the records of, of who made what money on what day. You could figure out the amount of, the amount of money that she died for. Um, and again, I didn't, I didn't make that point in that, in, in that episode. I kind of wish I, I, I had in, in hindsight is one thing I, w- I would change. But yeah, she, she, she died for a sum of money. Uh, somewhere, you know, going by Jen's calculations, somewhere between seventy-three thousand and three hundred thousand dollars probably is is what her life was worth to the organization. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I wish I wish I'd made that point, but I'm I'm making it now because that's what she died for. Mm-hmm. I was curious, um, Faith's experience on GPA. I mean, when you hear all these stories of STF, do you feel like it was similar or different? Because um, you were there during the beginning of it, right? And it was supposed to be like STF alternative or something? Yeah, so just for clarification, um, Ingenim changed the name of STF to GPA to try to compete with the program that I was on when we wouldn't sell our program to her. So GPA is actually the knockoff of the program that I was on. (laughs) I was on NGA um, and it was starkly different from any other program, which is why we were so successful with recruiting BCs from Europe, from Japan, from the East Coast, from the West Coast, um, from Canada. Like, um, we definitely fundraised, but because the, the first gen who founded it was so bitter about having had to use heavenly deception to lie to people about what the money was for, and was so bitter about families being impoverished by like tithing so much to the moon estate. He founded the program for the purposes of it being a completely independent 501c3 nonprofit that could eventually include outsiders. Um, And also we always told the truth about what we were raising money for. And we never fundraised for more than we needed to, to keep the program afloat and to actually do the projects that we told people we were 
doing the money for. So in those respects, it was very different. It was also more about like our personal growth, I guess. So we went, we watched a lot of Tony Robbins. We went to a millionaire mind intensive. We went to other like outside, like self-helpery things. But I would say it's extremely similar in the sense that we were taught like your free time is between the hours of 12 and 5 a.m. And by the way, that's also the only time you get to sleep. So if you want to do anything that's not on the schedule, you can choose that or sleep. And like, we still did conditions. We still, especially when I joined and it was closer to the beginning, we still had true parents pictures in the houses. We still did hundoke in the morning, even if we didn't necessarily read Revan Moon's words, we would read like other inspirational things. It was like a very strange, like midway point. You know what I mean? It was very much a Mooney program, but just sort of a spiteful, like fuck the moon estate sort of program. Yeah, there's a lot of that of uh, splintering or offshoots. Uh, I think it's like a, a known symptom of cults for people to start their own cults and be like, we're like them, except we don't do these few things and we're better. And like, I've actually gotten an invitation to one of those cults one once with with a hundred dollar bill in a holiday card and my parents were like what's going on and then I got this like submission form like the next time they mailed me it's like join this like love of the world something I forgot I don't know it was I was just like whoop uh shoot they gave me a hundred bucks um I guess I'll try to spend it in a positive way (laughs) that's weird my grandma (laughs) my grandma just got mail I was visiting her she got mail from wounded warriors and they put four quarters in their mail, the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, here, keep these quarters or donate to us. So I don't know if yeah. that's like a, just a straight up ML, MLM tactic or what, but. Well, like charities do it too. They'll make stamps of like, I have all these stamps with my old address with these cool cars and I actually use them and I didn't give them money in it. <laughs> I'm not a good candidate. Like I, I wish I could put that <laughs> out there somehow. <laughs> it's almost like you'd been through something to, to discourage you from joining. <laughs> what could it be anyway Anyway, what were we talking about yeah so yeah Aries thank you very much Donna that I'm I'm really that's really really awesome uh but Aries yeah I wanted to kind of kind of kind of flip over to you and like um yeah just kind of you know ask you that first question like has anyone contacted you after your interview and kind of what what, what's happened there um well so initially uh I hadn't started a podcast yet which I did later so I only had my regular uh Instagram page and I started getting a lot of follows from like random church kids. And uh, I didn't know any of them, but they, I guess they listened to the story and then they followed me. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, and I, I would get messages sometimes like, Hey, I'm sorry you went through this. Um, you know, like very like sweet things, but uh, all the people that sent me messages were people that weren't complicit in it. You know, like they were just okay. good people that were like, Hey, this is really shitty. Like I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's initially what happened uh, as far as people contacting me. You okay. know, I had other like church adults, mostly, yeah, mostly adults that were a little more combative. Like, you know, they send Facebook messages because they're not on Instagram and they'll be like, tell me about this. Or, you know, they want, they would want to like make the conversation about them somehow, which was like, it would always happen. Every conversation would always be about, let me tell you about my story uh, as if it would change mine at all. Interesting. But, okay. Um, Almost like, I got a lot like- of that. Let me tell you why it wasn't that fucked up because when I was doing it, like, was, was it kind of that sort of thing? Yeah. It was like, um, it was like, here's my experience. So maybe you can look at your life through the lens of my experience and see why it was great. You know, it was like very (laughs) bizarre kind of, you know, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's happened to all of us. 
But um, so there was like quite a bit of that as well. But overwhelmingly, I think people were like just very sweet about it. Like, hey, I'm this sucks. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was like the pretty initial re- the, the big response. Okay. And then just a lot of people asking questions. I had people contact me that didn't even know they were Jacob's child because no one had oh. explained it to him that way. Um, oh. Like the church people from other countries that had married second generation and their, they their parents had joined the church. So I guess the the people in those countries didn't even realize that you weren't supposed to do that. That's just hilarious <laughs> for this cult that makes it all about the, the blood lineage and it has to be so, you know, pure by our rules and stuff. And then just, they just like forget to communicate that detail. And then all of a sudden it doesn't matter. I think I mean, the numbers are what matter in, in some places, you know, yeah, more yeah. than the rules. Um, I feel like, no, I was just going to say, I feel like if, if there were more uh, European second gen that get interviewed, like for future seasons, yeah. we may find that their experience is very different. Like, I feel yeah, like they were like Faith's point about like District 12 having its own culture. I think other countries had their own cultures and their own rules too. So like the Jacob's child thing may have been like a super America thing or like super hardcore in Korea, but like maybe in Switzerland, nobody gave a fuck. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's one. Honestly, if in season two, I want to have more geographic diversity. Um, I have to say, like, pretty much everyone who's contacted me to be included, with few exceptions, has been from the U.S. That's just kind of like how it's how it's unfolded. But I would like to get to get people from other places. Where number one, number one in Mooney Kids, <laughs> not in healthcare. You should be proud. Yeah. Should be proud. <laughs> or numbers like. A thousand anyway. <laughs> Number last. Um, hey, there are European Instagram pages now, European second gen Instagram pages. Yeah, exactly. I wanna yeah. I wanna those are dope. I don't even know who who's behind it to be honest, but I like I want to reach out to them and see like if they'd be interested in, in coming on the show. Um, I, I feel like a number of people are spreading the word anonymously, so you'd have to find a way to protect their identity with voice changing or something maybe okay and then like how do you tell a story that's not personal that's not gonna out you you know yeah exactly and honestly that's hard i I, i've had some people come to me and and who who have interesting things to say that i think could be really relevant but they would want to have their identities protected and so far i haven't done any interviews with them because for me at least where where the show is at right now i think it's important to give it that layer of authenticity where it's like verifiably a, p- a person on the other end. I don't want anyone to come into being and being like, you made this up. Like that's you behind the voice changer. Like, um, like, you know, I, for me right now, it's important establishing that layer of, of authenticity that could change in the future, but for, for where I'm at right now. Um, but there are some interesting, I mean, um, yeah, like one person who's, who's, who's come forth, like lives with their parents who are currently in sanctuary church uh and wants to come on the show and i'm like i don't i just don't i just don't think that's the right that's that's not the right thing to do so let's just you know thank you very much but this isn't this isn't the time to do that um and there are other you know permutations of fucked upness with within that but yeah it's 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 a thing but yeah for now i just want to focus on people who are who are willing to come forward um and again i'm grateful for all of you do, doing so and put putting your names out there so publicly against this it has been really cool to see, especially LGBTQ kind of groups um, feeling empowered, sharing yeah. their stories, feeling the love. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. been the thing I'm the most proud of about being vocal is that uh, yeah. other people are sharing now. And it's like seeing it just is so fucking rad. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been it's been really cool just seeing things kind of blowing up online. Uh, it's been it's been really really awesome, and that's you know certainly some of the people in this room are are uh, are uh, you know a big part of that. Um, so yeah, thank you everyone for getting involved. Um, Aries, if we could just kind of like pivot like back to back to the the line of questioning, uh, what what would you ask? Like like what's the one if you had to ask someone a question to get more more detail on a specific situation or a specific aspect, what would it be? I mean, I think, I think I already kind of asked, it was, it was mostly about Donna. Like, how did your dad not drive to new Eden and beat the fuck out of the Dean? That's what I want to know. Like I would have, I would have wrecked him, like putting my daughter on public transit middle of the night, go to new, like, fuck that dude. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. I was like talking or thinking, you know, talking to my sister actually after that, um, that episode aired. You know, I think both of our experience and like Jen and Faith brought this up in terms of women in the church, right? And I think the value of women in the church is different than the value of like men. Um, and I don't know if that's the right way to explain it, but I think there's definitely this, this culture of, um, you know, for him, my value had already been lost when I think he found out that I had fallen right? Because my value as a woman in the church was to get married and to get blessed and to have those third generation babies. And for him, I think what happened is as soon as he realized that I fell, like my value to, you know, his vision of like populating and and being fruitful and multiplying had, had kind of disintegrated. So, you know, I think, and I think this this theme comes up a couple times in a couple of the interviews, how, you know, um, and I read this in Nansa Khan's book and it was kind of a gut punch that our parents were taught to love Reverend Moon more than their own families. And, um, you know, I think that's really what happened. I think my parents had been taught to love Reverend Moon and to love the mission more than their own children. And when their children fucked that mission up, it was basically like, okay, well, I, I have six kids and I have three daughters and I have, um, you know, two of them are still viable and the three boys are like the three boys are going to continue carrying it on. So I think there was that. And I think there was a moment where he struggled about like, you know, um, he had kind of like lost his investment when he, when it comes to New Eden, you know, he had sent me there to kind of grow as a second gen and that investment was lost. And, you know, he really looked at me as a commodity before a child. And so, you know, in his, his, his response wasn't, wasn't completely strange to me. It was traumatic in a sense that I always felt like, you know, I needed a parent, but a couple of people also said parentification is a big thing. So um, how did my dad not beat the shit out of somebody who put their kid on a mass transit in the middle, you know, early in the morning? Well, that's why, because he's brainwashed. And, um, you know, that's, that's the thing that's just, just have to digest. Um, and was, so, was there also yeah. a potential layer of like, the person who did that to you was sort of like, like higher in the hierarchy within the church. And so he, by, by being in that yeah. position, your father couldn't really challenge him. Am, am I right? Oh, 100%. In, in saying that? 100%. I think, I think the person that specific family was probably like, I don't know if there were 36 or 77 couples, but they were like up there in terms yeah. of the, the numbers. Yeah. Um, and my parents were Madison's for a garden in like 1979. So you know, I think there was definitely some deference there. Yeah. Yeah. I know that, that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, mm-hmm. 
All right, Ares, let's let's get to this. Yeah, a final question. Uh, what, what's one thing you learned from someone else's interview that, that stuck with you the most? Well, the, the thing that actually I really want to know about is from Teddy. And I want to know what sh- he said when Sean was a kid, he was an asshole. But did Great he question. have like identity issues as a kid too? Like, you know, this guy's transferred so many times, become so many different versions of himself. What like, tell me more about them as kids, because I never had any, you know, I met them as adults, but you must have known them like in a lot more intimate kind of way, even as like the school bully. Um, but hey, I'm just I'm curious about them as people. Um, yeah, I mean, I just learned pretty quick to stay away from them. Uh, the the yeah, growing up in Terrytown where the moons lived, I grew up there until I was 13. So we saw them on church properties we hung out at and church and stuff every now and then. Um, they would just show up. And uh, yeah, he he just was kind of like hungry for attention. Uh, like um, he always had this kind of scowl on his face. Like, and he, and he he wanted people like to like, hey, stop doing that. You know, like he told people what to do. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, and I know you've heard this many times. I think Elgin even talked about it, how he was always paired with his brother, Philip or Youngjin uh, Moon, who was the nicer one. So it was like a weird mix of like people wanting to stay away from him and flock to his brother, but they're always together. Um, but yeah, some of the things I, I might have mentioned this in my episode, I, I always do because uh, I think it just paints a picture of this guy who's running a cult now. Um, yeah, he would lock kids in the closet and, you know, until they cried or he would make them fight each other for his own entertainment. Um, Did you ever have to fight anybody? I was ne- I'm a little bit older than him. So I think that's where that hierarchy thing plays. And I was also from my family's from the 777 blessing. So like, I think that was also like, we were kind of more respected or whatever. I don't know. It was, it was never something I was conscious of or like flouted. It was just kind of a thing, I guess that everyone acted accordingly. Um, but yeah, no, or he would just, yeah, he just would publicly shame people or like mock them. But um, I, I, I'm trying to re- not repeat what I said in my episode. I might've mentioned this, but it's one okay time, if you do, it's okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Okay. Okay. Uh, one time, like someone who lived at, uh, it's called Jacob house. That's where he'd go a lot. Cause that's where a lot of the kids were like, and, uh, so it's basically a, co- a commune or a compound. And, um, yeah, one time I think someone stood up to him and, uh, he like ordered other people to beat him up like the King bully or whatever, but, but he also, but then another guy said he caught him crying. Like he was like, wow, someone broke my force field and he was just fragile. So, you know, it's just a giant toxic pool, that family. So that's where whenever I'm like, yo, fuck those people. Like I do feel that way, but it's also like, if I grew up in that family, I'd be the same way. You know, I, I might be one of the nicer ones. I, don't, like, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't I say know. you'd be the same way, bro, but I would, I definitely <laughs> yeah, think I that he's fragile. I think that's the perfect yeah. word. Fragile. Yeah. Yeah, he totally, he just, um, yeah, he was hungry for attention. He always, he wanted to be like the fun one. Like he, he had the skater hair and he wore the bright colors and, you know, oh, he, he wears the skater kind of too. Let's add that to the fucking, uh, <laughs> the, list of the costume changes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or he wanted to look like he was a skater. Um, one time we actually went to the, uh, East garden and he, he pulled us with him into his room and he showed, he was showing off his like music and his stuff. And like, he, he just, he really wanted attention even from us, like the, these people he treated like toys, you know, he was like, look at this, look at me, look at this, you know, um, he's yeah. 
And uh, I think, sorry, I know I keep going on about this, but that's what editing's for anyway. Uh, but um, I think, you know, a lot of those things were just echoing his parents, like his mom, I heard also, you know, from people who grew up with his, his family and his siblings, um, the older second generation, they have said things like the mom made them fight each other to, uh, to, to see who was more powerful. And the Trump oh. family have some of that too. And the loser got to be peed on by the winner in the trumps or in the moons in the moons <laughs> wow. no. Wait, I'm sorry. what what think, think well, about that family know? and how like there's no boundaries around their power like they're not self-aware yeah that's what two sources have told me so oh yeah, yeah this is like, a mad max thunderdome shit like... <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Like kids are trying to pee on each other. Like you get to be peed on. Like you just have to take it because, like, yeah, there's no escape. I mean, the older well, brothers she... in that family are violent, but I mean, the, the younger one, like, she did she make her children pee on each other? Like, I don't know a single child who's like, let me pee on you real quick. Like, whoever won the battle that she uh, initiated for them, can, to, yeah. Can, can we just okay? I just want to dive in. I want to ask you. I want to get like a really specific here. Okay. <laughs> specifically sean moon have you heard of him peeing on other people and or him being peed on what what i have heard from these sources or at least one of them is that sean and justin moon were the ones who usually lost (laughs) (laughs) why do you think they have all these guns and shit yeah he's on a motorcycle king okay okay he's tough yeah all that church money so sons of anarchy bro he probably got peed on you, you said it. You said it, Teddy. You probably got peed on. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with being peed on if that's what you want. Okay? <laughs> Let's just put that out there. Okay. No pee shame. Don't yuck someone else's yum, you know. Church, church. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, I just want to say something here real quick. Teddy came back to me after listening to this recording, and he made a really good point, which is that... You know, at the end of the day, the two people that we just talked about, um, they they endured abuse. Um, and Teddy was understandably uncomfortable with having a laugh at the expense of these two people who had clearly been abused. Um, and I think he's right, and I'd like to acknowledge that, that these kids went through some terrible things um, in the same way that all of us kids who grew up in this toxic environment went through some terrible things. Um, however, I decided to leave this part in with the permission of Teddy because it felt like it would give the audience a better understanding of where those two have come from. And by the way, Sean Moon and Justin Moon are the two kids in the moon family who are now effectively co-running the gun cult and yes they come from an abusive background and yes i have some sympathy from them but also these two fuckers are running a gun cult and it seems kind of fair to say that if you didn't want to get laughed at you shouldn't have started a gun cult just saying now let's get back to the interview Thank you, well, Teddy. Honestly, I just that's something I've always been curious about because it's something that us West Coast kids are we just don't know them at all. You know, 
my, yeah. my interactions with them are so specific. And when I would do security, when Moon would come to L.A., then I would talk to them because, you know, no one's trying to fucking break in. There's no reason for security to be there, but they would talk to us sometimes. So that's my only interactions with them or like seeing them backstage at events and talking to them when I did security, like when I was in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, in front of the camera, of course, they're going to like try to like further the brand and look good and look all like whatever, like negotiating with the UN and whatnot. But yeah, um, another thing is like, I remember um, like they, they used to like, you know, just mafia, literal mafia style. They would dunk kids heads into the water until they almost couldn't breathe. And then, you know, pull their heads out. And that's why my oldest brother stopped hanging out with them. Like he finally got the hint. Thank God. Whereas some people just took it and they like wanted to stay cool with it. But, um, and I remember my oldest brother, uh, when I was a little kid, he used to stuff my head in a pillow or, or all of us younger siblings until we couldn't almost breathe. And then like, you know, released us. And when we screamed, he would like release us. So I'm like, that's probably where he got that, you know? Um, so. Would you say that anybody was parenting them? Like, obviously their parents weren't, but did they have handlers or people in their life that they, you know, had to listen to? Yeah. They had varying levels of caretakers and the ones who were like the more prominent Korean leaders, like who were like the tough ones, like uh, who are like less involved and less under the power of the moons, but kind of were like loosely in, uh, they were the ones who spoke up and like told them no. And like when Hyojin was like spraying other people with a hose, like one, one member was like, stop that, you know, but most people were like, these kids aren't even human. They're angels. So we have to let them do whatever they want. So, yeah. I, I heard two rumors about, the true children that I'm wondering if you know anything about one was that one of the men in charge of caretaking them like raped the older boys and then I also heard that sometimes they were raped by this is uh I just heard this one from one source which is that they like, you know how the church started out as like this, like weird sex cult. That's like a womb cleansing cult. Right. And that like some of the older women all had sex with Reverend Moon that if they didn't have sex with him, sometimes they looked to the boys to have sex with. I heard so they were also. Too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I've heard both <laughs> of those rumors and, and they were recently reiterated too, but I've been hearing them. Yeah. Years. Yeah. I was just wondering, cause I feel like growing up, I lived on the Jersey shore, so I wasn't super close to um, where they were living, but close enough where I would, and I would occasionally see Hyojin uh, around and just some of his behavior makes a little bit more sense when I'm like, oh, you're super angry and violent. And it makes a little bit more sense if you were, someone was violent to you and you're just like, uh, yeah. the cycle of abuse is continuing through you so yeah there's actually um there's a there's a post about this in how well do you know your moon that uh that tumblr blog and um it taught it i actually just read it just this past week uh someone brought this up um it was peter kim who is like moon's translator you know um, i remember going to many of their speeches and stuff but uh so he's the one who um you know supposedly raped these kids and uh, Moon or uh, Hyojin even held like a loaded gun to his head. And like, I remember I always like heard that story, like, man, Hyojin's crazy. But then like, I heard it in that context and I was like, yeah. wow, like that's just a tragic story. 
Yeah. I mean, and then that makes sense because I feel like in Nansa Kong's amazing book, um, what is it? In the Shadow of the Moon, she talks mm-hmm. about going on her um, her honeymoon and Peter with Hyojin and Peter Kim came along and like essentially it seems like they would get two rooms and like Peter Kim and Hyojin, I, if I'm remembering it correct, correctly, they would sleep in the room together and like leave her alone in another room sometimes. And mm. I think she was feeling like left out and confused and didn't understand what was happening. And then later hearing those rumors about Peter Kim, I was like, Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. It just, it falls in line with all the other, you know, there's yeah. like the Catholic priests and the, the Jehovah's witnesses have this problem and, you know, I remember one yeah. put it, one person put it best when they were like, I think the Catholic church is just a front for pedophiles. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, a- among the many other, it's just power makes you horny is what I tell people. Like when you have no limits, then you stop uh, being good to for other people. Well, yeah. I don't even know if it's about being horny, but it's about sex as control. Like you can control sure. anything and anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. That actually okay. Sorry, there's actually a question that I want to ask ask the group. I, I I haven't I haven't prepared this for anyone, and I, for some reason this is this is this has been like in the back of my head. Like, do you guys remember there was a certain point in um in like the long esteemed history of Hundoke where there was like where Reverend Moon started talking about how parents were meant to like have sex in front of their kids. Yeah. Do, do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. And that feels familiar, but I don't remember. I it. remember hearing it with three that the that heaven was three generations of a family, like all banging in the same room or something. Oh no! Okay, I didn't hear that. Yes, I think you were at that workshop. Oh, I was. <laughs> we definitely <laughs> talked about that shit. That's extra spicy. Oh Jesus! So and great. I think my in laws were in the room, and I was just like. <laughs> like hi oh my God. <laughs> but that's not even it's probably not even the craziest thing we ever read that's what's insane oh, of is that course we just not. years and years of nonsense uh-huh. and we just fucking we're just like yep okay yeah that makes sense well yeah. guys if you think about so you know akina you mentioned the the church started as a sex cult and then our parents all performed the three-day ceremony in front of an altar with the moon's picture but yep. then also cushions for the moons to attend spiritually that totally tracks with what you're saying about like everybody just banging together it's a happy multi-generational orgy that's that's why reverend moon could stay up doing those prayer conditions for 15 hours and 20 hours because he was watching people bang via the spirit world dude (laughs) (laughs) it was like a telethon but i do now it all makes sense i do like i mean you can't edit that out bro (laughs) my so (laughs) i remember reading that i remember (laughs) reading that with my parents in hundoke being, you know, you know, it, it would be so holy if, you know, blessed children would watch their parents bang, basically, uh, like reading that in my living room and like just kind of looking around at my parents and being like, like, you know, like, OK, like, so so now what? Like, you're like, you, you're are you, are you going to do it? Because your 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 Messiah has told you you should. Like, I just remember kind of being like, okay, this is going to be really fucking weird, whatever happens next. Um, but thankfully, they never did it. Um, <laughs> but I'm just like, or, you know. I'm sure they did it just not with me, with me in the room, but um, I'm just wondering, like, there must be some, some parents out there must have fucking done it. 
like I, I, it wouldn't you know some i i think it's i think it's been done i i, I don't have, have any proof but if you think about the the number of people out there that listen to this craziness you're gonna get some emails now oh, yeah, yeah exactly if, yeah if you're gonna get some users would like to share their experiences um i guess let me know <laughs> It's going to be a spicy episode of Falling yeah, Out. Yeah, oh, Jesus yeah. Jesus Christ, Jesus. Well, just if you if you want to read more into like validate this, so it doesn't sound yeah. like we're making up some ridiculous shit. Yeah. Um, Change of Blood Lineage and Ritual Sex in the Unification Church by Christy L. Nevelinen. Yeah, <laughs> that's where you'll read and you'll see uh, sources cited. Uh, yeah, is legit sex cult orgies everything. It was all seen as spiritual. But I will pose that against and I mentioned this in the cult vault podcast. Um, what was sex like before queen Victoria? Cause allegedly she, or supposedly she changed the whole game and made it very shameful. And before there wasn't, you didn't have to call it kink. You just did whatever weird thing, like the animal you were. And then, so I don't know. I just want to like weigh it against that. You know, um, not that I'm for those things we're talking about now, but <laughs> I'm, I live in this time. So yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, the thing that I've tried to say when I bring this up is like, you know, you do you, right? Like if your religion is about ritual sex, that's fine. Humans have been doing that for a long time, but it's about consent and educated consent. And I don't think that our parents would have joined this church if they knew that that was the foundation of it. So just be real with people like guys, it's about orgies. Are you in or out? Mm. <laughs> Well, there's a big disconnect. Yeah, me too. Hell yeah. There's, there's a big disconnect, I think, with first generation because they also want uh, their kids to live a life that they never lived because they think it's better. Like all of them had a normal life and then got married again when they were like adults. So they all had sex and girlfriends and boyfriends. And then, you know, they wanted their kids to uh, live these pure lives and not have sex and wait till marriage. And so they don't even know they didn't even experience what they, they want us to do. So I think that's a disconnect, too. Mm-hmm. So they didn't even have the orgies like the moons did. And the moons have told them, Hey, this is how you're supposed to live. So it's just a, a you know, them learning from them, learning from them, learning from whatever. Mm-hmm. Right, let's, so, uh, I mean, in short, we should just go to burning man. Everybody. Yeah, exactly. Like yes. One whole healing experience. Exactly. Do a lot of psychedelics. Yeah. Group yes, orgies. Yes, and that's yes. it. Mom yeah. and dad. Yeah, Hainam yeah. has entered the chat. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at Hainam and I was like, Let's oh, first word. Yeah, Hainam, you've been quiet. What you got to say down there? Yeah. Uh, do more psychedelics. My man. <laughs> You're going to do an ayahuasca retreat. That's going to be the next site of the ICSA conference for anybody who's interested. I'm just kidding. Wait. Oh. <laughs> yeah, me and Hainam about to buy some tickets, Donnie. Don't play. <laughs> we'll be there. Yo, just take over Camp Sunrise. Restore it. Bad trips. Bad trips. Sure? Bad Don't trip. do it there. Don't okay. do it there. No. I think I heard later that they actually rented. Tomorrow. Yeah, they rented Camp mm-hmm. Sunrise. So it was yeah. never theirs. It's. Anyway. I think. I think it, now it's a boys and girls camp boys scout, or boy, boy scout, scout camp. club. If you look yeah, on it's like Google a Maps, church. If you look oh, at yeah. Google Maps, everything is like boarded up there too. It's like it's really dark. Oh. Well, I, you know, I have mixed, I mean, there were, there were benefits from all that exploited money that gave us like these events and stuff. So, uh, I mean, it was nice to go to summer camp and see everyone. So, you know, I don't want this to be like, not without dimension, like our experiences, mm. uh, 
but we do talk about the things that haven't been talked about for our whole lives. So that's why that all comes pouring out. So yeah. I'll just put it out there. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Teddy, just let's start, let's kind of switch, switch to you and just kind of like, like, like ask you those same questions. So like n- n- number one, like, like, yeah, has anyone contacted you? I feel like maybe because you've been probably the most vocal of this group, maybe like anyone who was going to contact you would have already contacted you, but contacted you, but yeah, I just want to, just want to ask, ask that question. Uh, yeah, no, you got it. Um, yeah. when I was on that a show in 2018, yeah, I got a lot of, I had to kind of, um, hide my Facebook profile and then make like a public like page. So, um, I was getting all these like, yeah, message requests and people were saying like really kind things. I was like, oh, you know, it was very healing and, and very warm of people to say, um, but yeah, for, for, for falling out, I guess maybe not as much, or I, I guess, I don't know. I, I get them. Yeah. I, I, I put myself out in like m- many different platforms now, so it's hard to know where they, sometimes mm. they'll say, I heard you on this thing. Yeah. But most of the time they're like, Hey, that's cool. You're doing this. And you know, so I, I couldn't tell you, but, um, uh, but, but one time, like after the A&E show, you know, cause I was confronting sanctuary church with the AR 15s and everything. This one like hardcore Republican, probably also from Pennsylvania was like, you think you can come here and take our guns and that, you know, total, just like, you know, far right troll kind of. And then I, I like, I know how to deal with people like that. Cause like we grew up with church members. Right. So I just explained things like very well. And then I was like, and then my mom got shot and he's like, you're right. I'm sorry. Like I shouldn't have. I've been so like, he was like a gentleman in the end. And then I doubled down and I was like, and you know, sources like the Washington times, blah, blah, are connected to moon. Did you know that? And like, he didn't respond after that, but I was like, cool. Like I'm reverse brainwashing him. Like I'm making, putting him in a vulnerable position and now like feeding his head with shit. That's real. But yeah. Anyway. Um, and what would you, um, yeah. What about like, you know, if you could, um, ask someone else just for a bit more insight about, about a specific situation that they face, what would you, what would you ask? Um, I mean, what comes to mind immediately is yeah, your last episode with Jen and just God, what a, what a mind blowing episode. Like that's one of those moments, you know, podcast moments, um, Mm -hmm. just talking about being on the same, you know, labor trafficking team as the person who was raped and murdered. But I feel like I want to step in and clarify because this has come up. I was not on this person's team. I was on the other team that was in the city. So her team had already found this information out. And I found out before like the rest of STF found out. So I don't, I don't want to make it like an association that I didn't have. Sorry to to cut you off, but I wanted to step in with that. Okay. Yeah. But I think that episode speaks for itself. I'll just refer people to that. I, I kind of don't feel like it's comfortable to elaborate on that. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I feel like that was done there and it's probably like really it's traumatic. Um, yeah. I, but I like it, it was hard for me because um, there have been a lot of podcasts like, you know, in April, it's basically called Mooney Month. Thanks to Cold yeah. Podcast. Uh, yeah. Sorry, cross-promoing here. Um, so I listened to a lot of podcasts like about like Mooney stories. Like I can't get enough. I'm always like, oh, I'm not re- ready to go back to regular podcasts. I want to hear more of our stories. Um, so <laughs> I just keep eating it up. I'll find old episodes with Unification Church members. But um, yeah, like uh, so, but one part that I really was like, yes, like a yes moment was when Eris said, yo, 
fuck the Washington Times. <laughs> yeah. Fuck the Washington Times, bro. Yeah, because like, because I mean, I think that's the end game of the church is to influence yeah. politics. So that's the bridge of everything we grew up with, the crazy world. That's their way of normalizing it in society. So I'm like, I always, whenever someone on Facebook or someone, something like posts something from the Washington Times, I'm like, let me give you some information uh, and I'll refer them to sources about it. And it, it, the thing is, it, it's it's considered like a relatively tame right wing outlet because mm-hmm. I think, you know, they've toned it down a bit since they went online. Mm-hmm. But then their opinion articles are like Antifa was at, you know, the Capitol riots, you yeah. know, that they were cited as saying that. And then other news sources called them out as that. Yeah. And I don't want people to be like, yeah, they're just this crazy right wing thing. It's like, no, like really popular national news stations and commentators uh, reference it. And we all know where it comes from and how they sustain themselves with labor trafficking of our parents and children. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, that's what I want to get out there. So Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that you said that, man. And just like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that what they write is super intentional. The people that write for them, a lot of them are church members. Um, I think they're feeding a very dangerous, divisive narrative. And when I see on Twitter people using their articles to like support themselves, yeah, you're a fucking idiot. You're getting played. These these guys are they're 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 trying to feed you a very specific agenda. So yeah, fuck the Washington Times. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, here's the thing that they may not be the most right right wing now. Uh, you know, clearly there are there are others that are further right out there, but they were one they were pro- the the first as far as I know, they were kind of like the first one in the eighties to, to establish that voice and kind of, and kind of mm-hmm. achieve sort of recognition and, and like, and like push themselves just by sheer, like spending as much money as possible to get themselves like onto the national stage. So they may not be the most right wing, but they set the foundation in the eighties for everyone else to, to follow basically. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they just went there because they could, because, you know, we have this guy who this messianic figure who took what he learned from North Korean prison camp uh, to indoctrinate American members into his church uh, basically. So, and then he created a newspaper, you know? Yeah. So, um, but one more thing about the Washington times, like an ex member actually spoke to me after he saw one of my appearances and he said like, yeah, I was there when they started it. And he was like, um, whoever the leader was, was it Bogey Park or one of those, um, the Korean figureheads like said, like, uh, they had to sign some document or fill out some form, uh, where it was like, uh, they, they have to request a salary. And he was like, now, when you fill out these forms, uh, remember that your brothers and sisters are all working hard fundraising in vans for you around the world. So ask for the smallest amount possible. Uh, so yeah, that's just to give you like a little clue of like where they're coming from. Yeah. I've I've also heard mm-hmm. rumor that um many of the members were pressured to tithe their checks back or even like sign their checks back over to the church too. So they weren't getting the salary that they were even asking for essentially. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's not even surprising. You just create any spiritual reason. And I remember like another ex-member told me to see the the uh documentary, the the high price of low cost or the high cost of low price, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the documentary about Walmart and how they do the same thing. Like they have these like fundraising drives and for like already low paid uh, employees, they have to like, they're guilted into like donating to like, you know, Walmart charities. So it's, yeah, it just shows that uh, it's, it's just a bad pattern. That's not unique to the church. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the takeaway, guys, the Washington Times was founded by a cult and funded with labor trafficking. Yep, labor trafficking of people who were mm -hmm. indoctrinated away from their families and told them their families mm -hmm. were evil and they are grafted onto the Moon family. So that's what you're reading. Like, that's where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. And do we know it? I read is... this wonderful book. Sorry, uh, Bad Moon gonna... Rising by John Gorenfeld. Yeah, go like, he goes into fantastic detail about the rise of the Washington Times and how that was integrated into Washington society. Um, he also goes into some of the dynamics that, Jen, you mentioned about the tithing, um, their pay statements back to the church and the donations that were asked for them. So, you know, just corroboration that all of this is true. And, you know, the Washington Times is founded by a cult and funded by labor trafficking. Do we know if it's still funded by labor trafficking? What I heard is that um, when they went online, maybe in the early 2000s, that, that's when they first started to make a profit. Otherwise, I think they lost, it was $3.3 billion for uh, over three decades, like before that. Yeah. So wow. it just kept being sustained by, yeah. Okay. Okay, okay cool. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's move on to the next person. Um, Akina, you were, you were next in the, in the publication order. Um, so uh, yeah, I want to kind of start with the first question of sort of like, has anyone contacted you since publication and kind of what that's looked like for you? Yeah, I feel like um, I've had three different categories of people contact me. One, as Eris mentioned, um, there's like some queer kids who are, some I think are still pretty young and maybe like slow, like not necessarily living at home, but maybe haven't fully left the church yet. Some are a little bit older, um, just saying thank you for not being, not pushing my brother away when he came out as trans, which seems like a bare minimum for like humanity. Mm. So um, but I was really glad to hear that feedback from people because when I listened back to the episode that I did, I was worried that I didn't come across as supportive of him because I immediately started talking about my rage for the church for like how they made him feel. And I was like, oh, I just sound really, really, really angry. Hopefully people realize I'm angry at the church and not at my brother, but mm -hmm. I guess people got that. So because yeah I, I got that yeah, just in, yeah. in that interview and also every time I listen to it afterwards yeah 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 because I just feel like that was my first reaction was like oh like before then I had just thought of the church as being like a weird thing but not like necessarily like that bad and then realizing that he wasn't straight I was like oh this is a really terrible institution because it made you feel that bad um and that scared to tell me um yeah so um some kids some queer kids uh some friends that have left the church but I didn't know it contacted me um to say that they were out and to say that they missed me and Aww. so I've been like talking with some friends that I hadn't talked with for like over a decade and that That's has amazing. been so amazing. Yeah, because I, I feel like when, so I don't speak to my parents and I guess I just thought like, 
when I stopped talking to them was kind of around when I left the church. And I, I guess I just thought like, I didn't have a history anymore or like, like my childhood, there was nothing. I don't know how to explain it. I just felt like kind of rootless in a way. And so hearing back from these friends that I grew up with just like makes me feel like I have some of my history back or something. Um, I also have some friends who like didn't grow up in the church who've listened. And (laughs) I think that was really shocking for them. Even though I've been pretty open about my past, I feel like I, I have a dark sense of humor. So I'm normally just making awful jokes about it. And so they were like, oh, we didn't realize it was that bad. <laughs> um, also, a couple friends mentioned that it was ha- kind of hard to listen to, just that we have our own shorthand. And so there's like this whole lang- there's like a language gap between us and outsiders still. That's interesting. Okay. Because the, yeah. the so-called outsiders that I've asked, so I don't know how far they've listened, but I've asked them that question. Like, do you ever get lost by the lingo? Um, can I do a better job of guiding the the uninitiated? And yeah, so far, everyone I've asked that question to directly has said, has said, no, I get it. I can, I can understand it. You're doing a good job, but it sounds like you've got some feedback there that, you know, maybe I could do a better job there. So um, that's well, interesting most, for me to hear. I just heard it from like one or two people. And it was interesting because I was like, yeah, I thought Eldrin did a great job, like explaining everything. I thought we overly explained things mm-hmm. <laughs> and then just to realize maybe there's still a couple of terms we didn't fully okay. explain was interesting. 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 It could also be if, if they're, I mean, I don't know how, like what, like if they just went in and listened to your episodes, they probably did. Then they yeah. might've missed kind of everything that happened before then. And I feel like the, the knowledge kind of builds over time. Totally. At least I, I, I hope so. I, I feel like for the first few episodes, I was better at being like, Oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? Can you explain that? But as, as time has progressed, I've got, I've been less specific about like trying to ask those questions. I feel like it would be something that like, I wouldn't really sweat. I didn't mean it as like feedback for the episode. I just more meant like, there's still so much that, that outside, that outsiders don't know about the church. It's like our our childhoods were so insular and and secretive so much that I just found it interesting that. Um, there's still a little bit of like an experience gap where like I even talking about things like I feel like a year or two ago I was talking with friends and I was like wait is co-driver a outside word like do people know that because like I feel like my friends from STF use that all the time what is it I've never heard of it it's like if you so I didn't actually go on STF but like I feel like this term was around a lot on the east coast whereas if you're not the driver you're sitting next to the driver. You, it's your responsibility to stay awake, keep the driver awake, keep them hydrated. Like if you go to sleep, it's like a, you're bringing like a, an element of like satanic attack onto the whole van. verify this absolutely yeah and so I was like getting in a car with friends to go to like art openings like a year ago and I was like thinking to myself like okay who's gonna be co-driver I mean co-driver is definitely not a Mooney term like I mean maybe this is just because when I was making friends outside the church for the first time in Portland I was hanging out with real blue collar type people who know people who are truck drivers you know 
So co-driver is a very, very I could term. see, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I could see it being like a trucking term, but I don't know if there's like the element of like satanic attack involved in this trucking industry (laughs) usually you just pass you just pass the ox to whoever's in the front and they choose the music that's that's who it is there's no satanic element you have radio you're the dj i think what's interesting about your point faith is that the moonies did co-opt certain language and then put Mm -hmm. like the religious layer on it so Mm -hmm. i mean because like in my family we had like the navigator i was the navigator with the maps and stuff but there was like a specific role on stf if you were sitting in the front and everybody told me before i sat in the front for my co-driver responsibilities this is when sleepy spirits are going to attack you the most you know fucking sleeping spirits are you kidding me (laughs) i remember i tried to read that thomas guide once which is like the maps and my captain was like nah son you're in the back i couldn't read that shit at all (laughs) got lost all the time (laughs) But I hear you, Akina. I remember like indemnity. So I work in a, so I remember I was talking to somebody about like a health insurance and they're like, yeah, you can also sign on for our indemnity plan. And I was like, what? I'm like, hold on. (laughs) Are you a Moody? (laughs) Like in my mind. And um, it's not, it's just like, you know, it's like a, like a PPO or like an HMO plan. And uh, just like hearing that word, like I totally thought the Moody's made that word up. Nope indemnity was real and they just added that whole religious flavor to it but um yeah i I get what you're saying with those terms yeah i think it was just korean leaders who were looking up in a dictionary like what to say that wasn't like what people say in this era like like filial piety like (laughs) that's a korean term yeah but i mean like as a a american as an english word i feel like I've maybe seen it like once outside the context of our church. I feel like I've experienced. Yeah, I was gonna say I feel like I've read it in like 19th century literature and stuff. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. I feel like maybe it's in middle March or something. Yes, exactly. Right. Like exactly. Um, and it's funny, like all the co-opted terms are either like obscure Shakespearean like no one would actually talk like that in the modern era or it's straight lifted from like accounting and <laughs> the U.S. government like with their three-letter acronym programs and like you know I mean? like yeah. total new speak yeah I mean it's also, like, yeah. yeah that's true it also my family moved to Korea when I was a teenager and then like thinking I knew Korean words like Shimjong and Hyundake turns out to be like completely wrong. Like, yeah, wait, so it's is Hyun does oh, is Hun does, does Hyundake actually exist in Korean? Does anyone know? Or like what, there's I guess like I could look it up. That kind of sound I'm gonna look it up. Okay. There like I know for like Shimjong, that word doesn't really make any sense in Korea Korean I feel like there's a word Shimjong which sounds kind of similar and wait Shimjong in the UC meant like true love or something I think kind of like your your true heart kind of um yeah what about Monse is that real so that's from the Monse movement actually it's um it's a protest word Uh oh Oh. Yeah. oh, so it doesn't mean like 10,000 years? I no, it does was- mean it does mean long live Korea for 10,000 years or a thousand oh. years, but it was actually like something that was 
from a, a protest movement called the Monse movement. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. What happens after 10,000 years? You just got to do it again or what? Another 10,000. Are you lazy to say forever? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that at some point in human history, the concept of 10,000 years is forever, right? Like mm. we have a yeah. different concept of time now because we can measure things in different ways. But I think essentially the translation would be forever, forever, mm. ever. Forever, ever. <laughs> ever, ever. At least we're not Scientology, like the billion year contract, so... We were a yeah. little more chill. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, no, at least they had an end whereas we're supposed to be like forever, really. Like, I don't mm. know. I feel like you're, yeah, like you're supposed to do yes. this even when you reach the spirit world. True. Yeah, I know it's true. A billion years, there is an end date. But for us, it's like infinity for and forever, we, right? We yeah. didn't sign contracts. Like, let's be clear. We were just <laughs> in it. <laughs> And I'm not saying they had any free will in signing those contracts, but, you know, we're going to play tit for tat. Yeah, it's true. It's true. There was no contract for us. Um, well, the contract was signed by drinking the holy wine, right? And then, mm-hmm. like, the deal was that you don't have sex until we tell you to. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> with the people we tell you to. With. Yeah. Yeah. In the position. <laughs> true. Okay. And then the next position. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought, like... Giving people wine would not lead to sex. Like, I feel like they should have chose something else. You know what I mean? Like, drink a little vino. You know what's about to happen. It's a, what do I know? I'm an idiot. Let's not go down this road. I think we all know. <laughs> but made it holy or lack thereof. Um, Akina, if you could, uh, you know, like, next, yeah, just, just kind of rolling down this list, like, what would you ask if you could ask another person for kind of more information or more, more detail? Um, I feel like I already asked Teddy about the um, about the true children. So I feel like I jumped uh, the gun on that question. That's okay. That's okay. It had a great answer. We 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 got the Sean Moon being pissed on. Um, that's a great, that's great, great. Allegedly, don't allegedly. Oh, excuse me. That was that was one source allegedly. and a allegedly. second source just yeah. like nodding her head very carefully, like. <laughs> This is going to become merch somewhere, though. Like, you're going to have a T-shirt with a, an image of this. I already have the yellow color scheme. It's getting... <laughs> oh, wow. Hey, I wondered why you picked that one over the other two. <laughs> um, all right, Akina, uh, what's the... Yeah, so, okay, ne- next question. What's one, one thing you learned from someone else? That, like, I, what kind of just stuck out to oh, you? I learned... I mean, honestly, like hearing all the stories together, I feel like there was like a cumulative effect where like, I feel like maybe Jen and Donna were talking about earlier where you just hear your own story because it's in your head and you you think maybe it's not so special or you can explain different parts away. Like, oh, I was bad or, you know, like you can just kind of excuse your own abuse sometimes. And then hearing it repeated over and over and over again, these stories in slightly different forms, there's something about that that just really um, rams in this idea of the seriousness of the whole situation. Um, Yeah, I feel like, but more concretely from Donna's, I feel like I learned that I'm a watermelon baby. Um, <laughs> so 
thanks for I that. My parents Wait, can we verify. just yeah, can we it. just explain? Because uh, you know there you might be some people who just it. who only who, maybe they start listening in this episode. So, uh, I, but I'm not a watermelon baby, so I don't think I can explain. I think it's got to be one of the watermelon babies who who, who explains. Yeah, maybe it was the tri-state area, but like, um, so my parents got married at Madison Square Garden, I think that was 1979, and I think around the time there was some kind of a condition where uh, our parents were asked to abstain from starting family, having sex for about three years, so, and I think this was around the time that um, Reverend Moon was being sentenced for tax evasion, and he was being, like, called up for, you know, um, evading taxes and there was like a senate committee meeting or hearing and he was about to be sentenced to danbury so as part of that condition it was like don't start family and so that ended up being like a lot of babies born in the 83 like me 83 84 um so i think what my dad confirmed actually is in the tri-state area if you had your 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 kid was born you got a watermelon and so my friends and i jokingly called ourselves watermelon babies so it may have already been only been in New York. Yeah, New I f- feel like from what you said, it was like if you were born because of the three day ceremony. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. I thought yeah. it was like if you mm-hmm. were born. Yeah. Like, so yeah, was- but like specifically in that time frame. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting to kind of jump the gun and this sparked my memory. I was re- I'm going to sound like a, a weirdo. I was reading um, some of the instructions for ceremonies, like the eight day ceremony. And in the three day ceremony, it says you're not supposed to get pregnant during that. So I thought it was really weird that they rewarded women. For- Wait, who they say that? And boy, it, how I can was, you control it? Yeah, it does. In the, yep. On in the, the handbook. In the, uh, in the handbook, yeah. there are instructions yeah. like this is not for procreation. This is yeah. for store sex. Yeah. So but women like, were not supposed help to it. I mean, but, I don't know that there was enough sex education for women to know if they were fertile or not, because you weren't supposed to do it when you were menstruating either. But yeah, I know mm-hmm. that my mom asked her central figure, who was like a bit like a one of the major aunties on the West Coast. She asked her like about birth control methods and the aunt was like, oh, but nobody gets pregnant the first time. So you don't need to worry. So I think that was the birth control. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Birth control in quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also didn't realize that the New Yorker had, uh, had like a daycare center, which from Jen's podcast, which makes sense because my mom used to tell me about like, I don't know, we would like run into other families at holidays and she would say like, Oh, we would put you guys in a crib together and, while we were working or something and it was like kind of this cute story growing up but now I'm realizing like oh I think I was probably in those rooms screaming my head off when I was a baby mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense uh with my trauma <laughs> with, <laughs> I'm like why do I have so much attachment trauma and <laughs> it's like just listening to this <laughs> podcast being like oh okay <laughs> Akita, you said something in your podcast and like it stuck with me. It's like my normal meter is broken. And I'm like, yeah. yes, yes, it is. I don't have like, I don't have a frame of reference for normality because I think I was probably in the same daycare. And I, I remember that from you, Jen, because I was in the New Yorker hotel around the same time period. And I remember my first, when I had my first child and I was about to go back to work, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, she's going to daycare. And both of my parents like freaking out, like, 
how can you do that to your kid? Those are horrible places. And after everybody confirms the New Yorker Hotel, I was like, well, of course they would have this view on daycare because <laughs> there we go. It was an abusive, horribly abusive environment. Thanks, yeah. mom and dad. <laughs> well, I think too that the New Yorker Hotel was a shithole. Like I remember hearing mm-hmm. stories of like somebody died falling down an elevator shaft. So like it wasn't kept, maybe it wasn't kept up to No, come. it wasn't. I remember yeah. my mm-hmm. dad, my dad telling me like he, um, they basically just gave him and my mom like this room to be like their apartment basically, but he had to like fix it up on that just like all on, on his own, mm-hmm. his own time, his own dime. And he told me that like he had to do something, he had to fix like the window frame or something. And it was on like the 30th floor or something like that. And he said he had to like, like hang out, like, like hold on with one arm and like hang out the window and like, you know, paint it or, or, or apply something on, on the outside. Yeah. Um, and that's just like, wow. Uh, yeah, the her- the church has a history of of buying decrepit buildings, and the New Yorker Hotel was one of them, and then the Washington D.C. Church was another. Like they were both in disrepair when they bought them, and then of mm-hmm. course didn't do much upkeep. So also in California, there's Etna Springs, which they sold, but it was just like a bunch of falling down houses. I mm-hmm. I forgot. I have a question. Um, it's for Nambo for Hainam. Uh, <laughs> I feel like you mentioned, and maybe it was the podcast you did with Ares about being, um, or that you stopped eating meat. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you knew, if you had also been taught, because I stopped eating meat like a few years ago. And I was thinking a lot about being taught when I was a kid that meat makes you spiritually grounded. Did you ever hear that? Yeah, I've heard it a lot in the church. And now that I'm into weird shit, I'm hearing it a lot now. So, oh, really? It's not yeah. just a weird church thing? <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. I'm trying to, like, I've only heard it a couple times in, like, the weird, like, new agey shit. But uh, there might be some truth to it. I don't know. I mean, I feel, yeah, I because my mom was considered, like, spiritually open. So she would... Mm-hmm essentially she was like having psychotic episodes is the translation (laughs) but I think so she was like really into eating meat and there were like and we like had cheeseburgers like often uh like a couple of times a week and there were a couple of times growing up that I didn't want to eat meat once I realized like where it comes from and they would like allow it for like one day and then they'd be like okay we don't want you to become spiritually open too. So you need to eat more meat. It's just a uh-huh. crazy weird church thing. My mom said the same thing too. And we wouldn't like, we couldn't afford meat very often, but she would still try to like have a little bit for everybody. And I think that otherwise she would have wanted us to all be vegetarian, but she was scared of us becoming spiritually open. Nice. Wow. Um, I'm I wanna... sorry. I thought that was the point, spiritually openness. <laughs> No, but if you're open to, like, if you can't control your power. Oh, that's right. Evil spirits. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's like you, okay. you, you can be it. open up to a certain level, but then if it goes beyond that and the, the evil ones are coming after you, then you got to shut that shit down. Basically. I'm sorry, Donna. Does our church not make sense to you? <laughs> I'd like you to reference the Dark I mean... Phoenix X-Men saga. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah, just like, I figure <laughs> if we're open, they probably can't charge for it, right? That was the whole day and everything. It's funny because in Pennsylvania, one of our church camps was previously occupied by um, some Swedenborgians. Mm-hmm. 
and they I just left- watched a movie about that. Okay. I don't know that much about it, but they left us like a bunch of really yummy, like whole grain cereals and delicious food that they didn't use up. And they were like, oh yeah, meat makes you spiritually open. So we want to be spiritually open. So we don't eat meat. And all the adults at camp were like laughing about that behind their backs. Like, oh, they're so close to the truth, but they don't get it. So. According to some site, I just Googled eating meat lowers your vibration. So uh, yeah. I think Dog, I ain't got no vibration then, bro. <laughs> According to some site. Okay. Yeah. I feel like Is it tacos, the Washington like, Times? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I'm um, sort of on my way out of my indoctrination not long ago at all. Um, a cool like sort of um tapering off for me was like researching new agey spiritual stuff on youtube like it made me feel a little less weird it made me feel like maybe there are people outside the church who will be able to stomach the stories that i have and it made me like more confident and maybe talking about what i've been through rather than trying to lie about it all the time but yeah there's like a huge like law of attraction like manifestation like um yoga vegan movement where they believe because animals in the united states especially on these meat farms are being tortured and drugged to be more like supple and like you know that when you eat processed meat like that you're taking on that bad energy and all those hormones of stress that the animal had and whether you can perceive it or not that has an impact on your mood and your vibration and your like overall spiritual and physical wellness so i so you're so that kind of stuff like new agey stuff like really really bothers me and i feel like it's funny it feels like so church related it's interesting that you found like comfort in that because i feel like to me it feels like too close to the church for me to like it like feels scary to me sometimes being around it I found comfort in it in the sense that like when I was you know about two or three years ago I was convinced that I probably couldn't ever go to community college because no one would ever understand like the Mm. whole spiritual universe like the whole the whole culture of talking about spiritual things being normal Like I thought nobody would be able to relate to that. I would never be able to talk about my life. And I was also living, like renting a room from a family that was still very much in the church, even though they said they weren't. And I was being gaslit into not talking about it. So on YouTube, when I found that there are channels with millions of subscribers um, that like are interesting because they talk about spiritual things that sound somewhat similar but obviously like yeah. aren't manipulative. I was just like, oh, okay. So it's not this disgusting, like freak of nature type thing that no one is ever going to want to hear about. And it might even be interesting. Like I might actually be able to meet new friends who aren't grossed out by what I've been through. Mm. They might even be fascinated by it or be able to relate to it or like have heard of it in some way before. So maybe there's yeah. a fun for me to make yeah. friends in that way. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think there's a wide spectrum. I'll just add one thing to this conversation. Uh, I read this book 
even on STF, some people are reading it. It was controversial. It's called The Undefended Self by Susan Tsenga. talks about the higher self, lower self, all that stuff. Um, and then like a decade and a half later, I read uh, a little bit of Freud and I was like, that's just Freud with spiritual language. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's really all it was. It talks about your childhood and things and whatever, but they just kind of, yeah. So, and it was coming through a channel and I'm like, well, then that channel must have read Freud. And now that they're dead, they can't get sued. Dude, so. <laughs> any chan- anytime I, I hear channeling, I'm just like, nope, 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 yeah. nope, nope. <laughs> I got no time for you. Sorry. I'm, I'm done. Like it just, yeah, I just, that's me personally. I just cannot mm. can't abide by, by, by that in my life. Um, actually, so faith, I want to, I, I want to give you the floor and ask you these questions in it. But before that, there, there's one thing that I want to come, come back to, cause I, um, it's kind of something that, that that's come up. And as I've heard about some of the feedback about this podcast, by people using it to sort of like put together the pieces of their own, of their own childhood. Um, there's one, I, I was just thinking about, um, some, of uh, some of the pieces that have, that have come up specifically around the New Yorker, um, that Akina, Akina was talking about. And, um, Actually, Akina, you and I have kind of have kind of like texted about this, but I don't think I've mentioned it. I've mentioned it to the to the other people, but um, I'm just kind of hoping this might like stir some memories in some in some listeners and maybe right. maybe like spur on some some greater understanding of of, of what happened. But basically, um, I have I have a couple specific memories from from the the New Yorker. Um, uh, one of them is uh, so two of my earliest memories are with um, uh, a woman named. We'll probably take her name out later, but. Um, the one who later on went to, to do GOP and uh, a bunch of other stuff. Anyway, she took care of me when I was when I was a kid. Yeah, I see that thumbs down areas. I, yeah, I'll do the same thing. I'll even give her give her one of these middle fingers. Um, 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 but anyway, so one of my earliest memory, I've, two of my earliest memories are with her, and I think I feel like they might be earlier than any memory with my parents. Um, and I think that's because she was looking after me as well as a bunch of other kids in this nursery in Jacob's house. Um, my first memory, um, was, and this is just kind of silly, but well, I, I don't know, but it has scarred me for life. Um, so, um, she, she made me, Akina's, Akina's nodding her head cause she knows what I'm going to say. Um, she made me a sandwich. Um, and I, she told me it was a ham sandwich, but she put pickles in it and she didn't tell me that she put pickles in it. Uh, and I was like three years old and I took a big bite of this sandwich and there's this nasty ass pickle in it. Um, and it just made me cry. Um, and I, to this day, I can't eat pickles, uh, as a, as a, as a result of that. Um, but I think the point is that's like one of my first memories with this person who like, isn't my, isn't my parent. And then the next memory, and this is where, where I think, I think the gears are going to start turning for, for other people, um, that are listening who, who may have, may have been raised there was, um, we, there was this like, like, like a day trip from like all the families that lived in, in the New Yorker. I was young. I was probably like, like four or five at this time. Um, uh, so it would have been like 85, 86, maybe 84. I don't know, something like that. Um, but, um, but like pretty, as far as I understand, like all the families that lived in the New Yorker with all of their kids. So Akina, like you were probably there. Donna might've been there as well. Um, uh, Jen might've been there. Jen, when did you, when were your parents in the New Yorker? They were in the New Yorker before I was born. My mom hated it so much. She didn't want to live there. Okay. So you didn't. Okay. Okay. But so what I was there too. Okay. Yeah. 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 So what I'm about to describe, it's possible that at least four of us in this conversation were, were at this, this exact place. Um, so, um, there was this day trip to, um, to this, um, 
this lake outside of New York City. Um, it was like a couple hours outside of New York City. I think it's called White Bear Lake, but I'm not 100% sure. But I know it was like day trip d- driving distance from, from New York City. Um, uh, anyway, um, like all the church families were there. It was like a big barbecue, summer holiday type, type of thing. Um, and it was right by this lake. And I remember there was this, this boat, like this inflatable, inflatable raft. Um, and I was on this boat and this thing was like full of kids. Um, there was probably like 20 little kids. I was like three or four years old, just like on this, on this boat. I had no idea how to swim. Um, and who knows, maybe some of you were on that boat as well. Anyway, I was this little like inflatable raft um, with maybe one or two adults near it. Like, and I just want to paint a picture. Like this is not really a healthy and safe way to look after a bunch of kids that are like two, three, four years old. Uh, and especially when I think Akina, you and I talked about this, like someone, you know, drowned at a camp in, uh, in California. Anyway, we're on this boat. And um, again, same person I spoke about earlier. Um, she's like kind of playing around as this like caretaker. She like, charges at the boat and she's like raw i'm a shark just like just like playing around and i'm like three or four years old i'm just i think this is like a game or something like that but i actually get scared when she does that and she she like she like jumps at the boat um i remember i look back they're like all these there's like 15 or 20 20 other little kids on the boat um and i jump off of this boat into into the water um and i couldn't swim um and so I just remember like sinking, sinking and like trying to doggy paddle in the way that like you, you would if you didn't know how to swim. Um, I, I just, like I can still remember looking up and seeing seeing the, the sun coming through the water, uh, just kind of like sinking to the bottom. Um, and then eventually like like came over and like scooped me up out of the water and like pulled me onto the shore and I was fine. Um, but I like legitimately could have drowned that day when I was three or four years old. Um, and I think that there are other people that are listening. I think, I think it's likely that maybe some of the other people here were were on that beach or maybe in that boat with me. Uh, and maybe there are other people who are listening who this might help to like put put the pieces together of like what happened in their, in their childhood. Um, so sorry, that was a long story. Um, Elgin, as you were telling, sorry, like the hairs went up on my, my arms because we growing up in Red Hook right outside of um we lived like maybe 20 minutes away from UTS but we had a in-ground pool and I remember the way my father taught me taught my brother how to swim was he threw him off the diving board like when he was four or five years old he threw him off the diving board and he panicked and he swam and the reason he did that and why he what he explained to me later was when you were young you fell in the lake and you learned, you swam. Like when you were young, you know, we were at a lake and you fell in and you managed to swim. And that's why this is how I'm going to teach your brother. So, Oh, great parenting like, move. <laughs> no. So I'm like, I, I have to ask my parents about that. Like I really talk to them, but I'm curious about that. Ask, ask them if you're on I that boat. I wonder if that was the lake. In White Bear. I think yeah, it was White Bear. I, like, I, don't, I don't know for, for sure, but yeah. There's yeah. a, there's a strong likelihood that your family was, was there at that, at that beach yeah. on that day. Yeah. Cause um, I think they'd moved out of the New Yorker, 86, 87. Yeah. I had, I had moved out by three, that point as well. Four or five, three or four. Yeah. yeah. But that was my, my, this is how you learned how to swim. You felt, you fell in yeah. the lake yeah. and uh, you swam. Yeah. I don't like, I feel like I have a very, I can't tell whether it's like a made up memory of that day or like a very hazy memory because I would have been like two years old Mm. or or like one or two or 
three at the most. And, um, but when I left the church and like, there were like adults, like extended relatives and, um, like old family friends that started reaching out to me, like people who were friends with my parents. And one, one woman told me like a couple years ago, like, oh, I went with your family when you were really small to this lake. Um, and there were like a bunch of church families around. And I watched this woman put a life jacket on her toddler. And she was like buckling the toddler in and the toddler's skin was getting caught in one of the buckles. So it was like pinching him, but he didn't cry out. He just like, she's my aunt saw the toddler, like slowly start to like form a tear on the side. And like, she was just like watching this happen. And she was just like, the way she described it to me, I just was like, Oh, for 30 years, that memory has freaked her out. Like of this little kid who was in pain, but didn't cry out. And she knew how like unnatural that was. And she was like, so the whole time you were growing up, I was worried that you would become like, or that, that, that would be your experience. And I tried to make sure it wasn't. And of course she like, this person like rarely saw me growing up. So it was like, she was hoping that I hadn't had all that trauma and surprise I did, but you know, yeah. So that was why Elgin and I were talking about that moment. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, yeah, I hope, I hope that might stir some, some memories and some people and maybe they'll contact me and we can like continue to, to, to piece things together. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's move on to, to faith. So yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about like anyone who's, who's contacted you after, after your interview. Um, yeah, I think my answer to all of these questions sort of bleed together. Okay. Um, so I, more than anything, I just noticed a significant uptick in social media followers across all platforms almost as soon as the my pod the part one of my podcast interview mm. with you dropped um and most of that was just I think even some people who knew me growing up who weren't entirely sure if I was okay with having these conversations or wanted to talk to other Moonies ever again who sort of realized it was okay to interact with me after that podcast dropped and have sort of started talking to me more not necessarily about what I talked about but just like feel more comfortable approaching me now just because when I first did move out of Portland especially I was extremely hostile extremely irritable and just like had every intent to never speak to any movie ever again um but then also in my dms specifically I had a couple people reach out um from my community and also from the west coast who said I really enjoyed your episode because I finally heard one that I could relate to that I felt like spoke more to my experience. And your episode mm -hmm. was the first episode where I sort of knew the places and the people you were talking about. And I felt like you articulated our specific upbringing pretty yeah. well. Um, and I think like the thing that shocked me the most about the podcast that I have been able to listen to is that I definitely feel the same. Like the, the most shocking thing for me is realizing how much I don't relate 
to a lot of the other episodes, how hard they are for me to listen to. And that has sort of shown me, in addition to all these other conversations I'm having, that like there really was such a huge cultural rift, like between the Northwest community and the rest of the church. Like, I don't know any of these camps y'all are talking about. I don't know any of these people you're name dropping. It sounds like gibberish to me. And I was in the same cult as you apparently. Like, and that was just really like, I would come onto these interviews waiting to like feel that connection and mm. like feel that familiarity. And it wasn't there. And I was just like, what? Like, And that's sort of like, it makes it hard too. It, like the other thing to consider for, for me specifically is that I, I have not had any break between being in a cult, realizing that I'm in a cult, processing that information and talking about it and becoming anti-cult. It's literally just been a seamless flow from one into the other. Like I stopped trusting the bureaucracy when I was 18, but was still a Mooney and considered myself a Mooney and thought it was a legitimate church. Um, I finally decided that the blessing wasn't for me when I was 24. Um, and then for the past three or four years is when I've finally been like, oh, so I'm not the problem. This church that is not really a church and is in fact a cult that was founded by the CIA is the problem. And it's just been nonstop for me. And then just realizing like all these details from talking about it and talking to more people and re like just... I don't know. It's like, I almost, I don't want to know more. I'm sort of mm. constantly pushed to the very limits of my emotional bandwidth. Like even during this conversation, yeah. um, I don't have anything planned for the rest of today, but I honestly might have to dip out on this interview early because I'm getting ready to pass out and I'm dissociating like every two seconds. So it's just like, I don't know. It's like the most shocking, there's a new shocking thing that hits me every day like something I didn't even realize until this call right now is that like the reason I have such a hard time even getting myself to listen to the rest of Jen's interviews is because the girl who died was from my community. I personally mm -hmm. knew her growing up and yes. a big part of the reason my community became its own community and through a big middle finger to the moon family is because after she died, they realized like, wow, they really don't give a fuck about any of us. And like, they made their own fundraising program to make sure that that would never happen to any of us in that community ever again. And it's like, I literally just realized this today right now. Wow. So it's like, I don't want to hear anymore. Because <laughs> like, I just hear enough on accident. I'm receiving disability services because of all the trauma that I've been through receiving EMDR um like haven't been able to hold a full-time job since four years ago when I had my first like I don't I don't want to call it a psychotic break because I never I never at any point lost track of what day it was or who I was I never hallucinated but I had like a paranoid freak out that sort of became the catalyst for me to like realize it was a cult and like I haven't been able to hold a full-time job since then. Cause I've just been in recovery. Um, but yeah, it is, it's, it's at the same time, it's hard to stay away because it's providing so many answers mm. and it's, I do enjoy feeling valuable in the sense that I can have conversations with people or go on podcasts that sort of help things click for everyone else.
that was a lot wow um well i mean first of all if you got to go you got to go like don't don't feel bad um yeah uh and thank you for um thank you for sharing um damn yeah yeah i didn't i didn't i I never made the connection between you know the girl who died in your neck of the woods and i certainly never never heard of that whole um you know like splintering off and creating its own youth youth group as a result of of that incident um yeah it's not something that i was aware of yeah i feel like that struggle to like get answers but also take care of your mental health is truly real like Mm -hmm. i feel like there's been like i've been on our facebook group for like probably like almost a decade now or something but some years i don't go on it at all Mm. like you know like sometimes you got to take a break and focus on yourself I'm on a mental right. health break from the group right now. Like I yeah. feel what you're saying, Faith, in yeah. that regard. Um, but actually, I really want to commend you too, though. Like I've never heard of an ex second gen like getting any kind of services or help, and I'm f- fascinated. Mm-hmm. And I don't want it, that to sound rude, but the fact that you've done that and have been able to to get the help that you need, I feel like so many of us come out of the group not knowing like it took me six years to even start therapy so I'm in awe of you the fact that you are so dedicated to getting EMDR to to get support to make that transition and I feel like I hope there are other people listening that can connect with that and be like holy shit there are options for us and that's okay like I just I didn't even know that those things existed so I wish that I had met you 15 years ago where you are now because I would have been like help me you know what I mean so I'm like, I just, I have so much admiration for you. And yeah, well, just, you know, my hope is that I was actually re-listening to actually your, the episode with Faith today. And we were talking about like how many, how many, how many there might be in the younger generations. Uh, and I'm hoping that like, you know, in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years, people could, could still be listening to this, could still be out there. And it could, it could still help them. And there might be more of them at, at, at that point. So what you guys are doing now can, can positively impact, impact those people. And I have to say like, like, well, I've mentioned this on the show, but like the contact that I've, that I've gotten, um, um, yeah, I mean, I know of at least three people who've left, um, is actually quite interesting. Like, like I, I heard of two, like, uh, within a week of the first episode drop, the first episodes dropping. And I heard of the third, um, uh, shortly after the last episode dropped. Uh, and it was actually a person who knew the girl that died, um, basically contacted me. It's the one who told me that I actually dropped that episode on her birthday, um, and said, and said, which I had no, I was completely unintentional. I, I had no idea, but she she said the person who contacted me basically said, "Look, I I knew this girl for, you know from a young age. Um, I've been kind of like on my way out, but after listening to this, I'm I'm out. Thank you." Um, so uh, that's that's not me doing it. That's you guys doing it. So you guys have you know greatly con- contributed to that. And I hope. I mean, my intent is to just leave this on the internet forever. Uh, and eventually, whenever I whenever I stop publishing, I have no idea when that's going to be. But I just want to like prepay like you know a hundred years of hosting online just so, yeah, or maybe a billion <laughs> years yeah so it just stays there forever uh, people can just find it in the future you know um so yeah thank you everyone because yeah, i think yeah we're, you know everything you're doing will have it will have valuable you know repercussions for for years to come so thank you
Yeah, it's it's great because like you can listen to it in your own time. I think something with my siblings is like whenever one of us finds like something new or wants to recommend something like I read this book or I did like we get really defensive, I noticed. And I, I remember Jen before was talking about how like we were weaponized against each other, second gens. Mm-hmm. So like it's harder to like recommend things, I think, unless you're already friends or something. But yeah, any like way of life things, I'm like, I don't want to hear mm-hmm. it. But if like in my own home, I can just listen to a podcast, you know, it's like smoother. That's that's my whole intent too. I'm not trying to get into like people's faces and be like, you got to listen to me. I'm like, because I know what it's like to be a second gen and to just shut everything off in order to survive in the group. So yeah, you just, you know, so all I can do is put things online and just hope people find it. It's helpful. That's all I can do. That's like the most, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Let's uh, let's shift gears here to, to the, 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 the elusive, the the elusive quiet one uh, that's, that's in the, in the corner on my screen. And, and, um, uh your turn buddy you you okay with that yeah yeah i don't have too much to say um but yeah i mean i definitely got a lot of people reaching out to me but it was there was no theme it was like some people are happy that i validated their chump young experience mm-hmm. or their post mooney dating experience where you kind of think you got to marry whoever you're dating yeah. you kind of got no right away yeah um but I, I mean, I definitely had a lot of people reach out to me and even like some first gen reached out to my dad. So oh, wow. people are listening, you know, what um, did they say to your dad? I don't know. But I think it had to do with the second half of the podcast when I started talking about uh, like mushrooms and all that. Okay. Because hey. that was, the, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, so as that's, and as far as like, the other guy like my questions for you guys like even just going on this podcast was hard enough like I didn't mm-hmm. really particularly want to do it um I've turned down interview op- like opportunities in the past but when Elgin reached out to me I was just kind of saying yes to everything kind of like not doing what's comfortable you know I don't really like to talk much um so I haven't really listened to any of your podcasts so my uh, i don't want to it's like it's hard enough to speak on my own traumas and listening to other people's is kind of it's kind of tough too you know like i don't even though i know there's a lot of value because i've talked to a lot of people who listen to every everyone's and it's just there's different levels and different types of trauma yeah like it's a different experience we have the same experience but my experience um is completely different than face or gents you know it's 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 interesting to see how many ways we've all been affected by this and how it's all there's similarities but a lot of differences Mm. but um yeah i i'll get around to listening to it but you don't you don't (laughs) even like i even did uh i did a podcast with eris the eris marius podcast and i haven't listened to it yet you know it's just uh i can't man that's all right. That's all right. I feel I, like, yeah, I, I will listen to them like at very specific times. Like I'm like, mm. oh, it's not something that I just put on in the morning when I'm doing dishes. No like it's the news. <laughs> no, it's, it's no. like I, I parse it out. I'll listen weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take care of your mental health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big time. And I, even for me, like once I, I think when I like, before I really knew what I was doing and I started publishing, I was like, 
okay, I should relist after, even after I publish it, I should re-listen to it so I can like learn from what I've done and like, you know, just make sure I make it better. Um, but I think after doing that, I did that maybe for like two episodes. And then after that, I was just like, fuck it. Once I publish it, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not listening mm-hmm. to it. I'm not listening to it again. Uh, Cause I, at that point I've listened to it probably, you know, five times already. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm like, that's, that's it. Uh, I don't care if it's not perfect. I'm just getting it out the door and I'm moving on. Uh, with some exceptions, like, you know, coming into this, I wanted to, to like dive into some specific areas, but yeah, I'm trying to, for me anyways, like, yeah. I always listen to them at least once and uh, I have my earbuds in and um, I have like noise canceling iPod pros. So I, I was, when I was listening to to Jen's, I was at Ralph's and I was shopping and I forget exactly what she said, but I forgot that I had them on and I was like, motherfucker like that. Like <laughs> I said it out loud. <laughs> yeah, caution, caution when you're in public listening to trauma. Yeah. Oh, when I man. listen to them, I have to listen to them like going outside for a walk. Because mm. I notice that like when I do listen to them, it's not immediate. It's I think my immediate reaction to hearing it is like, what the fuck? Like this is horrible what happened to you. But then later, like it gets the gears going, like you had said, about, you know, you think back and you you take that piece of the puzzle and you apply it to your own. And um it just opens this Pandora's box, you know. And so I found that. I can listen to them, but I need to be outside taking a walk in the sunshine and can only do it when I know I'm in a safe space because, you know, I, you need that sunlight. Um, and Elgin, I don't know how you have these conversations, <laughs> like no. kudos to you, man, Harris, Jen, you know, anybody safe, anybody who's like constantly reliving these things and sharing your story, like y'all are strong. You're all strong, and I, I admire and respect that so much. So yeah. Much. Like, you know, so I feel like I'm usually suspicious of people who want to interview me about the church because I feel like it can be easily used as, like, like tragedy porn mm-hmm. or just, like, um, like, some exotic, yeah, exotic trauma. Like, cult stuff is really popular. And that fucking really bothers me sometimes because I'm like, oh, I'm I'm glad my terrible childhood is like makes her an interesting podcast or something. But mm-hmm. I feel like knowing that you were also a second gen Elgin and realizing I think right off the bat when I had heard about this podcast, when Eris told me about it, it was like someone already left because of the podcast. And then I thought, well, fuck it. Like if if we're getting people to leave, then I'm all in and mm-hmm. I will totally help help do my part because But wait, what was there? Because you what you and I spoke before I before I published. Maybe it was before oh, maybe oh, it was, no. but it was like pretty right away. You, you sent right me away. the you you sent me the the first edit so I could listen to it before you posted it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, and I shared that with Akina so she could hear it. Yeah. Uh, okay. And yeah. talk about it with me. Because she's my like... my consigliere. <laughs> yeah no and that's right so you get yeah you, Aries, I, I spoke to Aries and Aries connected me with Akina um, yeah 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 but I definitely it, like realizing that the purpose of this was to like get the word out mm. feels really important because I just feel like it took me a while to leave and it took so many people like throwing me like these like lines of escape that like now that I'm out I'm like oh I need to like 
if I have the chance, like tell people like I got out, it's okay. You can get out. Also go to therapy as soon as you can. (laughs) And uh, take some of those SSRIs if they prescribe it to you. Don't be too afraid. And uh, yeah, it's important. It's it's one of the things I actually like about what Faith does. Um, Because like she said, you know, she's 10 years behind us. Literally, she's on live reading a book and fucking having realizations at the same time. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, like that's that's super powerful, too. And I think people can connect with that because we all had those experiences in private. But she's doing it like literally on a fucking live and reading something and just being like, oh, oh, holy shit. Like Mm -hmm. this makes sense. So I think that's its own kind of power. And I think that what's cool about it is everyone's doing different things. You know, we're all dealing with it in different ways. Yeah. And uh, and that's cool. That's why I want to hate him on my podcast, because when he said the magic word, you know, that he that that <laughs> he's using psychedelics for therapy, I was like, that's working for me. So I resonate with that right away. And I think that's a that's cool, too. You know, just everyone's kind of dealing with it in different ways. I want to call out Faith's YouTube because I've been watching your Heavenly Deception readings, too. And I feel like I'm getting such an amazing education watching them. And I do have to have my weighted blanket because like, I do have these panic moments. But you are so articulate about like dissecting what is going on that, like I told you, even though I've read the book, I'm like, holy shit, this is way worse than I thought it was. So, yeah, the work that people are doing... Um, in sharing the stories and then dissecting them has been healing for me. And I feel like I've been out 15 years. I shouldn't need more healing, but actually, wait a minute. I totally do. Mm. You know? And you, wait, so what is heavenly deception? Is that, is that a, it's like, a I novel. know it's a book, but what it's is a, it? It's a novel by Maggie Brooks. You can give the okay, interest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a, a novel by this British author, Maggie Brooks, who literally joined um, a seven day workshop to write a book about it. Um, amazing like she the only reason it's a novel and like a fiction thing is so that she can't get sued for it Um, amazing yeah but she had to leave the workshop early because she felt herself getting indoctrinated wow realized she was in too deep so that sounds awesome wow it's upsetting as fuck like i i was so upset reading the book especially towards the end so yeah Anyway, so Faith, you're reading it like what chapter by chapter on on YouTube? Yeah, Um, yeah, I saw this trend on Twitter um, because I joined leftist Twitter and that's how I got most of my followers is by following all these like leftist political Twitter hashtags. And something I noticed is that um, a lot of like political or philosophy YouTubers will just stream themselves reading political theory live or whatever it is just like to to put content out so I was like why don't I just read a book that's relevant to my Mm -hmm. life and our life for content on my cult themed channel and I feel like it's working out better than expected it's definitely not as like shareable or SEO optimized as like shorter videos with a more targeted purpose but I don't know I'm having fun with it that's cool awesome um so let's uh, let's come come to the last person in terms of like the, the question format, but then let's we can just go for a free for all, quite honestly. Um, but uh, yeah, so Jen, uh, you're the final per- person to be interviewed, and actually, just so people know, like the first six people, I'd interviewed everyone before I published anything, but then but Jen was pretty much the first person to contact me after I published and and asked to asked to be on the show. 
So I did the interview with her uh, sort of after I started publishing some of the other, the other ones. Um, and then, um, yeah, her, her kind of set of episodes became the, the end of the season. Um, but yeah, I guess same, same question to you, like, like number one, just any, any, any interesting contact afterwards? Um, I have had a lot of people reach out. I, I don't necessarily know how to categorize them. And I mean, I've been sharing my story for a long time in terms of art. So it's hard to always know, like kind of like with Teddy, where the, the up tick comes from, but um, you know, people sharing their story with me in DMS has been validating to hear them basically say like, you know, thank you for sharing. You've created a safe space for me. You've validated me. Here's some of my story. Building that trust has been uh, really nice. But actually, I think the, the most interesting thing that's happened to me is people who aren't in the church who reach out and say, like, I feel such a kinship to your story. Like one of my friends that I've known for a long time and we know each other's story, he went through sort of that uh, troubled teen industry. And so he's like, I was having such anxiety attacks listening to your story because I resonate with your trauma so much. And to me, like those connections, and I think it's kind of like faith, what you're talking about with finding people in the new age world is like realizing that our stories suck, they're horrible trauma, and there's no way to dismiss them. But our trauma isn't necessarily unique, like kids from various cults have very similar experiences, people who have been in coercive control environments have similar experiences. And I think that when we realize that it makes our experience less alienating because that's part of how we were controlled was through that alienation and through that secret identity process of being a blessed child or a Jacob's child. Um, And so I don't want to normalize what we've been through by any means. Like, you know, Akina said, my normal meter is totally broken too, but realizing that like, there are a lot of people that have been hurt in various ways and sharing our stories can help us heal across many different walks of life has been very validating. Yeah. I, um, so I've started in in future, you guys haven't heard it yet, but, but I have started interviewing people from other cult who grew up in other cults. And that's been really remarkable just to see the, the connections. And I can't go into a lot of detail now, but this, that's just been crazy to have those conversations and see the, see the connections. They're like, you're like, yeah, that's the same thing. That's the same thing. It's just, it's it, like, like you say, like, this is an experience that actually goes far beyond the Moonies. Uh, it goes oh, yeah. like way many, many other places. Yeah. That's why I did the shunned podcast because I wanted to have that conversation with the host, Michael Shemwell about the the ways in which our experiences were similar and Mm. he he brilliantly said it's like cult mad libs you know the leaders just fill in the blanks and i was like fuck yes that's exactly what it is you know there's a playbook and somebody just fills in the blanks of how they want to control people yeah yeah um sorry on the topic of the troubled teen industry um i'm glad you brought that up because actually like the first non-church related job that I really cared about that I wanted to get like on my way out four years ago in Portland was working in what I found out was the troubled teen industry like I thought I was agreeing to work for a nonprofit organization that was helping rehabilitate and educate at-risk youth so in other words like foster kids who had criminal records who couldn't be housed in regular foster homes and what I discovered was just like the church trafficking children 
this nonprofit was trafficking children for the checks that they got from the Department of Social Services. And I was like a life skills trainer at a facility for boys specifically who had sex offense charges. Um, but we started accepting boys who had no criminal charges whatsoever just to keep the beds filled and just to keep getting money from them. And the way that boy tried to get transferred out of that facility was by uh, faking his own death in front of me and telling me that it was my fault. And that sort of triggered a lot of the times that like my sister tried to harm herself because of the things that my mom said, because she didn't want to be trapped at home anymore. And, you know, and the times that my mom in her sort of like spiritual psychosis telling me that like since you've fallen you deserve to be suicidal you deserve to want to try to kill yourself like it all sort of just that was like the straw that broke the camel's back and created the PTSD symptoms that I'm dealing with today and it also really like not to make a pun out of my own name but really like broke my faith in larger society even like outside of the cult and I think that's why I'm so open to getting therapy right away. And that's why, even though these conversations are hard, part of me is just like, no, like, I don't want to leave. Because <laughs> it's like, there really are so many people who have had similar experiences, maybe not with the exact same details or terminology, but it's like, if we keep pulling at, like, unraveling this sweater, it could be really massive and help a lot of people who have never heard of the moons before. Mm-hmm. yeah that's where i got out.org comes in was we'll plugged that and yeah. the hub yeah yeah no it's worth plugging them I, i've spoken to them they contacted me and and like i i have a lot of respect for them um mm-hmm. yeah they're, they're good they're good um jen just to go back to like the final final couple questions like if what would you if you could ask sort of one 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 person specific question what would it be um, well, I feel like this is kind of putting you on the spot, Akina, but like uh, two things really stuck out to me in your interview. Um, one was <laughs> your mother acknowledging that like Camp Sunrise was bad. And yet like, so like the adults recognizing that things were bad and yet like not stepping in to, uh, to do anything about it. I, I don't necessarily want to question you around that because that's not your responsibility, but that was something that just like, I was outside, had to be in the sunshine, breathe in, get my hands in the dirt. So I wasn't freaking out. Um, but that was like one of those things that was pinging in my mind. Like, yeah, what the hell? Cause I told my mother about my camp sunrise experience and she recognized that it was bad too, but yet nobody stepped in. Um, but the question that I wanted to ask you is, um, it was interesting to me that you've been able to maintain relationships with people um, outside of the church. So second generation, you've all left and things. And one thing that I've found, like a reason I've had to take a break from um, like the group, I think you'll need to bleep the name out. Yeah, Sorry, the Facebook yeah. group yeah. is because I think that we can trigger each other. It is really hard to have some yeah. of these conversations and the shared trauma. Um, so I'm curious for anybody actually that's been able to maintain relationships with people on the outside that you grew up inside. Like, how does that work? Because like that's something I pe- I keep a lot of people at arm's length because I'm I'm so afraid of being re-traumatized or those experiences of being gaslit because we were so weaponized against each other. So I'd, I'd love to open the floor. Yeah, I feel like for me, I mean, I'm I'm a fairly private person and I 
don't open myself up to like that many people outside or church member ex church members but I found with my friends that I'm still friends with it's like we were friends in the church because we really cared about each other and leaving didn't change that so much but also I feel like to your point about being re-traumatized I feel like my friends and I we like spend 90 95 percent of our time together like not actually talking about the church like we'll talk about like what beer we're drinking or like I don't know Eris will talk about sports and I'll pretend to know what he's talking about or like my (laughs) friend who I've been reconnected with lately like we've been just talking about Jane Austen this whole time so like yeah I feel like the trick is like not to just talk about the church all the time because that can be really overwhelming but it's Mm -hmm. instead like a spice or something (laughs) yeah that you add occasionally yeah it's interesting because I've I personally have um I lost a lot of the friends that I had in the church when I left and then on the other side I've heard stories of like oh yeah she just got negative or she didn't want to talk to anybody or whatever so uh, many of the people that uh I was friends with on the inside are still in I think Eris you might be the only person that I was actually connected with that's now out and you were like the person when I was leaving I I had five people that I was like as long as they still think I'm a good person then I'm gonna be okay and Eris was one of them um but yeah it's it's so interesting to me when I see like BCs on the outside that are friends with each other. I was like, how did that happen? Wow. Let in props to people. But yeah, it it boggles my mind. Yeah, I I share that too. Right there with you, Jen. Yeah, yeah, just like the feeling of um, revisiting child. I think it just, it hurts for me. It's like, Mm -hmm. this used to be just a seamless thing and then you find out what you know your relationships are based on and the church hierarchies and that some of them are still homophobic and you're just like ah like I don't and I, I didn't choose these friends like these came from my parents choice of being in this like very exclusive community and so there's so many strings attached that I don't know um I have to talk about the church because I have to know that you know, they see kind of the things that I do too. So we don't get into weird conversations where they will just blurt out something and joke about it. Whereas I'm like, dude, there's so much trauma, like with that, like, it's not funny anymore. Like, I don't know. Um, Yeah. But I think most adults who have to sustain themselves financially in the world have left the church (laughs) because it's just, yeah, we weren't indoctrinated. We didn't go to the crazy Boonville camp or whatever. So, yeah. Oh, we were still indoctrinated. Just yeah, in- definitely, well, yeah. definitely, <laughs> definitely. But I mean, like, it, yeah, it's like, I think, like, yeah, that's the big, that's a whole nother conversation. But like, mm-hmm. I think that's why it's harder for first generation to admit it's wrong. Because like, they believe that they chose it for us, you know, also. So it's easier for us to leave because, I mean, it's hard to leave in general. It's, it's, it's a difficult, painful thing as I just, you know, alluded to, but anyway, um, yeah, I think that's in talking to first generation. It's like, I think that's a big thing that people should know when you want to confront your parents about why this, why that it's like, it's not that simple. Like, uh, it's, it's a cult, uh, do some like what faith says in her videos like do research on cults like 
don't just like be like, I'm free. I'm going to say whatever I want. And it's like, or to like the people from that time, it's like, there's so many things that you got to like, you know, that it's not work. It's more like, it's validating. It's like, ah, like, it's nice to know the truth. Right. So I'll just put that out there. Yeah. Do some research and, um, and feel validated through it and more free, you know? So if you can, I think for, for me, uh, the relationships are what always mattered more than anything else in the church. Like my conversion experience was at a summer camp and I didn't give a fuck about the songs or the lectures or whatever, but the way that people made me feel, um, I never felt like I had to love anybody um, because I wasn't conditioned that way growing up. If I liked you, I liked you. If I didn't, I was nice to you. You know what I mean? That's what the, the church made me like. If I was a group leader, there's probably kids in my group that I was like, man, this fucking kid's so annoying. But I was kind to them, not because they were, I was supposed to be, but just because that's, you know, my nature. So I think that the reason I can maintain so many relationships with people in the church now is because I was never forced to like anybody really. Um, I didn't have that, that kind of conditioning. Um, so, oh, sorry, I got babies back there, but it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, to me, it's just people are people and some people suck and I don't want them in my life and other people are cool and I want them in my life, you know? Teddy, I met you years ago mm-hmm. and our friendship has never had anything to do with the church ever. It's just, I think Teddy's fucking cool. So I'm in C- Seattle. I'm gonna hang out with Teddy, you know, like that's how, that's how it was for me anyway. Yeah, man. Um, I, I, I kind of envy that honestly. And with Jen too, like in your interviews, you, you guys both talked about like, well, I didn't grow up in a church community and I'm like, you got to like be more openly, like more open with the world and let it into your life more. Like I so envy that. So I know the grass is greener. If anything, uh, I actually hid my church from my other friends. So it was like the other way where I was like not talking about dating and and the church. Yeah. Hmm. I, I definitely felt like I had layers of identity and it was a complete mind fuck. I mean, but then when I heard you talk about growing up in the Irvington area and like people knowing you were a Mooney and the way that it affected you at school, I was like, holy shit. So I, I, I don't know that comparing it is worthwhile because I think it sucked no matter what. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just acknowledging the, yeah, yeah. Um, the feeling. I'm not saying, Yeah. No, the feeling, the feeling is not right or wrong. And I appreciate your acknowledgement of it. I just, I think that everybody, everybody had to deal with their process and and the way they were raised in their own way. And I I don't know that it was easy at all, period. Just to, just to dive into that, this question of like, how do you deal with like talking to people that you grew up with, but also like in the church, but also outside of the church. Actually, I got a question from, from one of my Patreon subs, um, uh, so I ask all my Patreon subs uh, if they would like to ask anything of the season one cohort. Uh, and I got a few responses. Um, and this one in particular, I thought was was quite interesting. So uh, here we go. If I could ask the season one crew anything, it would be, are you open about your experiences with people who didn't grow up in the church? How do you talk about it? Because that's something I struggle with a lot. I'm honest about it these days, but unless cults up in a conversation, unless cults come up in a conversation, excuse me, I see no reason to mention it. And that leads to awkward conversations of people feeling betrayed because I didn't tell them earlier or them asking really invasive questions. So how do y'all deal with that? I'll go first. I feel like I've been super chatty, so I apologize. But um, so I have a friend that I've been friends with for like 20 years. 
she and I went to college together. She's not in the church. And only recently has she started hearing some of my stories. And I think that she just recognized that I've had to process it. I've had to say it in my own way, in my own time, and there's no judgment, but she's a safe person. And so I think that we all have to come to a point where we discern whether or not somebody is trustworthy with our stories and with our trauma. And you have to set appropriate boundaries and none of us were taught boundaries. So that's a a huge learning curve Um, because I have had people find out too early and ask me really inappropriate questions or very hurtful questions that I didn't have the language to answer. And that can send you spiraling. So you don't owe anybody your story. You don't owe anybody information about you. And if you feel ready, go for it. Yeah, if I've been friends with people for years, especially back in the day before I was comfortable talking about the church who I was friends with them for years before I talked about it with them. I want to underscore everything Jen said. I feel like if someone's upset that you didn't tell them something sooner, first, that sounds like a bad friend, but also like you can say, if you want to keep working on the relationship with them, you can say like, Hey, this was really traumatic for me. And telling you meant that I trust you, but you need to let me tell you in my own time because yeah, it's really upsetting to talk about. Um, For me, I have figured out ways over the years to talk about it in a way that's not completely traumatic for me, but it's taken a long time. So it's like a practice kind of just like anything else. Um, I'm, kind of good so I'm an artist in different studio visits I'll do something where I'll say like oh I grew up really religious and then maybe like 10 minutes I'll just slip in like oh I don't know like I'll just like keep talking about religion a little bit more and then I'll just like sometimes slip in like oh well some people said it was a cult or like I did grow up in a cult and I'll just like I don't know. I feel like there's ways to just like introduce it. So it's not just like this big explosion, but yeah, I don't know if, if people are giving you a hard time, that's on them. Mm -hmm. I I feel like, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I feel like, uh, yeah, it's just something you feel out like with, with someone Uh, most people have been understanding and, you know, I remember one guy responded like, like, again, I feel it out. I'm like, can I tell this person? Okay. Yeah. This person feels pretty safe and like empathy is what I'm looking for. And so this person responded by saying like, oh my God, I grew up a Calvinist, you know, Mm. there's always something. Um, (laughs) Or my best friends like are like people who don't really have um, fluid relationships with their parents or their parents weren't really the best. Um, You know, I say that with some caution in case my parents are listening to this. I know that you know, um, they, they did what they thought was the best and they loved me the only way they knew how, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, what's healthy and what's not like, um, if you're not seeing it, then I can only try to show you so many times. So, you know, figure it out. But, uh, yeah, no, it's people like who I talk with them because we both recognize like, uh, that they're, you know, whereas people who were parented maybe more in a healthy way, they're not going to respond as much to like, me basically asserting a need by like telling my story 
um, someone else who has that need too is going to respond to that. So I feel lucky to have found those people in my life and they're helping me grow like a parent would, you know, mm. uh, even as a guy who's like in his forties now. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the best I can do. So, yeah. Yeah. Hey, now it looked like you were, you had something. You were, you were oh something. yeah. Well, like for me as like a single guy, when I go on dates and stuff, I, I'll like feel it out, but I definitely like to throw it out there relatively early because if you find that out and you're not somewhat curious and you're not asking some questions like, I don't know if I want to deal with someone who hears that and it's like, oh, okay. And just moves on. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I've even watched Bless Child on like a second date, you know, the <laughs> BC documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and um, if they look at you different or whatever, you know, it, you can get a good feel from a person how they react to that statement, mm-hmm. I, I guess. And yeah. usually you're really interesting after that, right? Like usually there's a lot of questions. So, mm. And as long as it's not trauma porn, like Akina said, mm. it's great. Yeah. yeah. I think I told my partner on our like first or second date, like, Hey, by the way. And you know, it, he was like, all right, I'm not afraid, you know, and we were able to go mm. from there. Um, but yeah, you definitely have to feel it out. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't think there's any right or wrong. Like you, you do it at the right time for you and you'll kind of know when it's right. And kind of feel like this point's been made a few times, but like when the relationship is, is right and this is like dating or friendship, it doesn't really matter. But like when the time is right, if you want to, if you're comfortable, then you bring it up and you know, yeah, I've, I've had friends that I've known for years and probably took me 10 years to mention it to them. Uh, but then other people I've told, you know, much sooner and in a dating context. Um, yeah. Like it's never been like right off the bat, like never like first, second, third date. But if, if I'm, if it's natural and it comes up, then it'll, it'll come up basically. But it, it kind of like, I, I don't feel like I need to, in a way, I don't want it to be the defining characteristic of me. Although now that I have, I'm doing this podcast, I like, feel like it would be like if people Google me, which they're probably going to do if I go on a date with them, uh, then they'll find it. They'll find it. So I, I should have something to say on that. Um, but, you know, put that to the side. Like for me personally, I don't want it to be like the way I lead about like who I am, like it, even though it's a big part of me and yeah, it's had huge impacts on my life. The defining characters of my life in terms of, in terms of like the one thing that's impacted me the most, I still don't think it's like something that I want to lead with. Um, but if I'm comfortable enough with it, then I will mention it to people. Yeah, I, I feel like, I, I think everything above, all of the above, but you know, what you said, Elgin, about not letting it define who I am. You know, I, I, generally only bring it up to people who I know and I'm very, very close with because, you know, like, like Jen said, you know, it's, it's kind of talking about things that are traumatic to me. And usually when I bring it up, it's either one of two ways. It's either, I know you well, and I trust you with my emotions and you feel safe to me. And, you know, I want to tell you about these things, you know, as an explanation of why I do X, Y, and Z or why I am X, Y, and Z. But on the other hand, it's, it's like either a really dark humor of like, you know, if like, I think we were in Central Park, you know, a couple of friends and I were in Central Park and like one of these, um, like not, not like a Harry Krishna or something came up to me and they're trying to sell beads. 
And they were like, oh, it's $10 and you get salvation. And I'm like, it's okay, guys, don't do it. I was already in a cult, not cool, totally not worth it. Put your money somewhere else, you know, and just jump off from there. But I think it's just one of two ways, you know, either you trust them implicitly and you're willing to have those conversations about things that are near and dear to you and, and you know, to open up that space and open up that boundary to somebody who you feel comfortable letting in or, you know, I just joke about it as, as a kind of like a, like a funny cocktail party. Um, it's kind of like, how did your parents meet? I'm like, wow, <laughs> fun story. <laughs> um, so kind of like where I said. Yeah. I feel like I've been pretty open about, or I've learned in the past 10 years, like how to talk about it more, but like before the pandemic, I was at this party And I was put next to this novelist, like I was, the host sat me down next to this novelist and I was like, what is your book about? And they were like, oh, it's about this lady who like joins this like separatist cult and then like gets really violent. And like my parents are in sanctuary church. And so I was just like, oh, interesting. And then I just like, ate a bunch of crackers really fast and like left the table. (laughs) It's just like, I don't know what to do with this. I have uh, someone in in a writing group that I'm in that was like using someone being kidnapped in a cult as like a plot device for like a romance novel. And I tried to like spend some time educating and I don't think that it helped at all, but it is, it goes back to your point of like, cults being hot and cults being interesting in this like consumable yeah in a consumable way but people not caring about the actual like education Mm -hmm. around them and so yeah in a a context like that I could totally see piecing out and just being like yeah you don't get to have my story (laughs) I was just like I was just like so confused because I was like, wait, does he know my story? Wait, what is happening here? This is like too close to home. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just met you. Am I going to open my mouth and just like spew out stuff? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm yeah. already a socially anxious person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, just um, something you said, Jen, about like the media yeah, or a certain I think most people who talk about cults now in the media are respected, respectable, and there's more conversation about it. So it's more complex and not as like dismissed as a pop culture joke with some exceptions. But I noticed in like the things I was a part of, like the A&E thing and explained like the people uh, who are making it, they're trying to make like a good story, like a beginning, yeah. middle and end. Yeah. So like they want to make you as like a hero or like happily ever after and I'm yeah. always like trying to be like, <laughs> like I, yeah. I try to keep it in that zone of like, well, this is better, but this is still being worked on. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I just, yeah, that's, that's a message I want to put out there. It's like, yeah. it doesn't end. It's just, you know, you get better at life, but uh, it's, yeah, it does. Life doesn't work that way. Like um, th- that was my entire childhood. This is going to be, you know, something in my life forever. So Yeah. And I get podcast requests all the time from people that look at cults as circus freaks because I'm very open about my story with Mm. my art. So just like to to the point of the, the person asking the question, like be very 
your story is your greatest asset and you can protect it. And there are places that you don't have to tell it, whether it's, you know, some Joe Schmo that's like doing conspiracy theory podcasts that like just wants to hear your story from that trauma porn perspective or the unsafe novelist at the table. I don't know. Like just, just feel what's right for you, you know? And, and I don't know. Like, I think all of us are pretty wary people on some level. It's okay to yeah. be wary. It feels like there's like a two sides to one coin. Like, I feel like I'm very wary. And then my brother, like, will make friends a lot easier than I will. And I mm-hmm. feel like it's like both is like the same reaction to the mm-hmm. same uh, or the opposite reaction to the same trauma or something. Where Interesting. Yeah. Like he'll go up and talk to people at parties and I'm like, you don't even know them. What are you doing? <laughs> like, Yeah, that's weird. I feel like we were talking earlier about like the, who was taught driving. Um, and I mean, I was barely taught driving, but I like left the church really quietly, like just slowly backing away, didn't really talk about it with my parents, but my brother is the one who like went out and talked about it with them and like confronted them and was like, I'm going off to college and I'm going to leave. And we were living in rural South Korea at the time. And my parents' reaction was to steal his passport. So he couldn't get on the plane. Whoa. Uh, yeah so I was like uh, I feel like at first I was like I wish I could have been a badass who like just like was like yeah fuck this I'm leaving and then after seeing his what happened to him I was like oh maybe there was a reason why I was so wary and like Mm. hesitant to talk but I just didn't realize it at the time it's so interesting because like I I thought my parents were going to stop me from moving out and going to college um, and like buying a car and stuff. And I thought maybe I was crazy for thinking that because it ended up being yes. somewhat easy. But yes. then I hear these other stories and I'm like, oh, my God, no, wait a minute. I'm not as crazy as I thought I was. As uh, my therapist says, it's not paranoia if you're right. So <laughs> I guess like she worked in a trauma ward of a hospital and I guess like a lot of women that she's worked with were like diagnosed as paranoia because they were like my boyfriend's after me he's like trying to kill me and the police would just be like oh you know you're just complaining oh she's paranoid oh she's worried and then they would end up being beaten and thrown in the hospital so she's always like trust your not to be dark again but you know (laughs) it's not paranoia if you're right yeah, yeah, I think with all these things, it's kind of feels like the overarching theme is like just just trust your gut when it comes to you know mm-hmm. exposing yourself to you know to to the potential. Like anytime anytime you're vulnerable and you're honest with someone, there is a you know there is potential harm there, and you need to you trust your gut and before you expose that vulnerability. And we grew up in an environment that consistently told us not to trust our gut. And so if that's hard for you, don't hurt, like, don't, (laughs) it's okay. It's all right. If that's not, if it is. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just thinking of like the person who who sent this question, I've, I've never spoken with them before uh, beyond receiving this, this message from them, but it's like, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. There's nothing. And, 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 Mm -hmm. and you think back to all those times when we were kids, when we were forced to like get up and give our testimonies when, and they're like, you know, you have to just stand in front of an audience and tell like bare your soul uh, uh, in front of an audience. Like, 
yeah, we are conditioned to do that from a very young age, but now guess what? We make the fucking decisions. We don't need to do that. So Mm -hmm. if you don't want to do it, you don't have to, um, like there's, there's no, there's no reason to do it unless you think, unless you think you're going to benefit from it quite, quite frankly, don't, don't do it. Um, yeah, because you don't owe it to anyone else. Yeah, and that's a difficult thing to, uh, well, yeah, there's the um, eight criteria for thought reform by Robert J. Lifton, who's yeah. like, you know, one of the top like cult researchers. And one of them is uh, confession, like mm-hmm. cult of confession. Uh, you're just, you know, in the Unification Church, it was uh, reporting. You always had to report to your leaders, report everything about yourself. And um, super unhealthy. Uh, you really, you have to, that one of the hardest things leaving the church is finding your own sense of agency and independence and asserting what you want to this day. Like it's, I can't really choose a career path and say, I'm going to mm. stick with it. I just, I mean, part of it is growing up in a family who we have an unsteady income, especially after leaving the church, that was our whole financial structure and starting over was really hard, but also just, I, I, I don't know who I am enough to, uh, mm. to in that context of like me being what I want to do. Like, I don't know if there's enough weight there for me to like choose one path and just stick to it uh, through thick and thin. Um, there's not enough nurturing there. So, you know, I consider myself like vaguely like a creative person. Not Thank God there's a term multimedia designer. I'm like, yes, something <laughs> that encompasses everything. I don't have to say I'm one thing, but uh yeah. Um, that that's, yeah. I just want to recognize that as a difficult mm, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't have any more specific questions to be got, to be honest. I just want to like open the floor to like whatever the fuck y'all want to talk about. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, this is me opening the floor. I had a question. Um, this is for you, Elgin, actually. I feel like okay. you spent so much you spent so much time asking us about I, what, I get off easy. I get I, off easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just heard the hot seat. My question to you is like, what 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 inspired you to start this whole project? You know, what inspired you to start this pro- this uh, this podcast? I know it's been a long process. And how has that been listening to all these stories? You know, I think just hearing this is traumatizing for some people mm. just listening to the stories in the podcast like what is that experience like for you like having those conversations um so two-part question okay uh so I, I spoke about this on on airs podcast a bit but uh i guess i had um um well so i left the church when i was 18 kind of like mentally and then i but i still ended up getting married to someone within the church and then for all all, many of the reasons that we've discussed. And then uh, about three years ago, four years ago, um, that marriage ended uh, and something about that marriage ending for the first time, I could actually look back and be like, holy shit, that was really fucking crazy. What, like, like, why did I even do that? Why was I married to that person? What, what was that all about? Um, And that kind of like set me on this path of just like trying to understand what I had been through. Uh, So I started reading books about it and, um, you know, some of them were like, like just reading, reading Take Back Your Life by, by Yanya Lalich, like really hit me like a fucking lightning bolt when she made the point that like kids who grew up like us were, were sexually abused uh, by living in that environment. And I was like, oh, that's what that was. There's a name, there's a name to that. And I just kind of thought like, there is no way, like, 
I just thought that there would be value to, if someone had told me that's what happened to me like 15 years earlier, 20 years earlier, that would have been, if someone had just made that connection to me, like that would have been of immense value. Um, and I didn't really know how to like get that word out. Um, but it just felt like, and, and I, so I, I think that that was kind of happening for like, I don't know, a few years. And then I guess I saw like, kind of has been has been mentioned earlier like cults are kind of like having a moment there's a lot of stuff out there about them but um i didn't i just didn't think anyone could do the specifics of our experience justice um you know in a in a netflix series or uh or anything i didn't think anyone could really explore the nuances with without it being like one of us basically um and so it just felt like, and I also felt like there was, you know, if you look at how well do your moon, do you know your moon? I love that. I love that website. It's amazing. I just feel like there's so many, there's so many factual stories that you can hear and they're all, they're all true, but oops, they're all, they're all true. If you, if you, you know, if you read bad moon rising or, or in the shadow of the moons, like, like these are all great, you know, documentary, you know, documentaries of like what's happened and how the structure of the organization works. But what you're missing is all is all the context and the subtlety and the nuance of like what happened to, to, to us to all the collateral damage that grew up within that. Uh, and I just felt like that there's a huge cautionary tale for the world and hopefully for the others, the others like uh, like that are younger than us. And now the technology is in a place where we can share this in a way that's meaningful. Uh, and it just felt like, I don't know, it just felt like all that coming together. I was like, fuck, I want to like share this knowledge with other people, uh, but not just my knowledge, but the knowledge of uh, everyone else that's, that's grown up here. And so, um, yeah, I just decided to like, this was, this is the way this is, this, this is what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. Does, does that answer your question? Yeah. And like, I don't know, what is it like, like, how do you preserve your, your own, I think mental well being? And I feel like well-being is just like, a, like, it seems like that's come up a couple of times, but like yeah. how do you serve your own mental well-being? Just like having these stories, like having these conversations and like, how do you digest them, you know, or is it helpful to you to kind of like have these conversations as well? You know, I think, I think at a certain point, I don't know where it was in the, in the recording, the recording order but I like after every after recording every single one I'd be like fuck I need a drink um like before I go to bed <laughs> like like well during and after um and sometimes I couldn't sleep especially like when I did Ares's uh episode about the COVID fundraising like that really shook me and I was like fuck man like but something at some point I don't know when it was but I I feel like I just kind of like got this like armor of like well because in every single one I'm like this is the most fucked up thing I've ever heard nothing is ever going to be worse than this and then the next one oh my god that was fucking worse <laughs> and that just leading up to the final episode yeah yeah geez. it was like pretty much every every interview I was like it just it just gets worse and worse and worse and then um I think at a certain point I would just like. I stopped having any expectations or I just, I just knew that like, I just, maybe something broke. I don't know, but now I'm like, almost like nothing surprises me now. I'm just like, no, you know, yeah, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. I can't, you know, so 
I just feel like I've kind of become inoculated to the, the trauma behind it. But I mean, having said that, I have to say like, you know, um, when I do, when I listen to them to do the editing and the intro and the outro, I do feel like I kind of, I do relive it a lot in those, in those moments. Um, and that can be, that can be difficult. Um, and it takes a lot of time. I'm just trying to think like, like this between, between having a job and having a kid half the time and then doing this, I'm trying to I, like, basically I, I used to play video games and I used to, and I used to watch Netflix, but like now I don't. Um, um, and I'm like, but I need to make some more time for that. And I actually, I talked to my therapist just a, two days ago about, I told her I was taking a break from the podcast, but I was going to be launching again on the 6th of June. And she was like, and she's like, well, so what do you have to do between now and then? I was like, well, I got to do this, 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 and this, this, like, like there's a long list. And she's like, I might be sounding too, like the old lady in the room here, but that seems like you're not really taking a break. Uh, and I was like, yeah, you're, you're not wrong in stating that. But I also feel like we, not just me, but the other people that are speaking out about this, we have a lot of momentum now on online. And I kind of want to, I want to keep that up. Um, but I also feel like I know she has a point and maybe I should like slow it down a bit, but I also equally, I don't want to, cause if I got three people out, what could I do? If I just, if I just, if I just keep doing this and like, how valuable is that to them for the rest of their life? So like, I, I, I don't know what the right answer is to be honest, but I do feel like I, I, I will need to slow it down at some point. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah, I could just add you don't some... want to get, oh, you go. Uh, okay, I'll be brief. Uh, if I could add something, I, I appreciate that you do see a therapist and that you've done some like cult research and stuff. Um, if anyone asks me like, wow, how can you tell your story? That's really brave. I'm like, I feel really supported in that these are all known patterns and it yeah. really neutralized the effect on me. Yeah. Um, there's names for this in psychology and they apply yeah. to me and I found myself in the, in this research. So again, it's not work. It's more like, ah, is breathing room really? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad. I feel like, uh, yeah. Burnout is real though. So mm -hmm. take care of yourself. Yeah. I feel like maybe you're, you just started on this. So maybe you thought like a month or a month and a half is like a good space between seasons. And now yeah. that you're working on it, you're like, oh, maybe next time it needs to be three months or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't, I just, I'm still learning. I'm still figuring it out, but it is nice just feeling like the momentum's there and just wanting to like, to keep it going. Um, and cause you know, but if, if next year, it might not be like this. Uh, so like I don't know I kind of want to capitalize on that opportunity um but yeah I do need to look after myself um you, yeah you don't want the second album curse after the first hit album exactly the second album exactly. that sucks yeah exactly exactly <laughs> exactly um I think the second album is going to be good to be to be to be honest um and I think so so Don has been working with me on that um and uh, like yeah we did we did the first inter interview well what will become the second interview I guess we did that a week ago. Um, and I, th I, th I think that went really well. What, what did you think, Donna? I think it was awesome. I think, um, I think there are some really great insights. And, and like you said, Teddy, like, you know, the more conversations you have, like across the spectrum, the more you find names for things. And, you know, that kind of puts things into perspective and just the whole like universe of this trauma. Like it, it you, by being able to like, 
put a pin into it and then like assign it a compartment, it somehow makes it more manageable. So I don't know. I think it went really well. I'm excited. I'm excited for what this journey has to bring. You know, how's your all have juice, a lot of kick-ass stories. How's your juice boxes going, Donna? I, I finished the second one. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is part of my healing, guys. Um, I'm also probably going to go eat a gummy later on. I'm going to chew on an edible <laughs> and make some pizza. So, you know, nice. that's how self-care, self-care. <laughs> self-care is pizza too. everybody. <laughs> Uh, yeah what else are there any other questions any other questions or like things you guys want to talk about uh, there's so much right but <laughs> i know Where said do you even begin? Right? yeah i got a heart out okay um so i gotta mentally prepare for that I'm, are I'm, you gonna are you yeah i'm like do you need an edible how are you gonna <laughs> deal with this Eris? <laughs> yeah, talk to donna <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Yeah. Ahead of us. oh she's coming excalibur is coming so. yeah <laughs> yes yeah. i'm also a big fan of my friend clonopin holla yeah <laughs> Yeah. But um yeah, I I just want to say before I do go, Elgin, that I do appreciate you and um it took some balls to to do this project. I mean, I don't know that I, any of us would have recorded ourselves telling our stories, you know, like there's a way that you can hide behind uh art or you can hide behind words or you know, like there's a there's a removal of yourself from those things, but to just like it's so intimate to, to tell your story and, and to be in someone's ears, you know. Um, and I think that it's been particularly moving and a way that people are connecting really strongly. Uh, so yeah, I just appreciate you even, you know, allowing us to do that and, and making us a part of this thing. Um, it took some balls, man. No worries. Well, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm appreciative of everyone here saying yes. Cause I mean, I barely, the only person I knew pretty much was Teddy before I, I did this. Uh, and uh, I just kind of, everyone else just kind of said yes. And I kind of told everyone, like, I don't really know what I'm doing here, but if, you know, I, please, if you're willing to work with me on that basis, then let's, let's, you know, see what we can do here. Yeah. And I'm just really, you know, delighted with the, with the results, but you guys took a risk with me as well. So thank yeah. you very much. Speaking of that, I have a question for you, Teddy. Yeah. Uh, have you seen any litigation from the church, from your A&E and all that kind of stuff? I know they're very litigious. Um, no, what I, what I tell people is like, uh, it's better to come out big, like, um, through some kind of media thing or have an audience. Cause I have heard maybe once or twice that if you start speaking out and nobody knows who you are, it's not a very public, then they can harass you. Um, other cults do that. Um, so like, I think it's safer to come out on bigger platforms, uh, I think where they get litigious and stuff is if it affects their money or people start dropping out or whatever. And now there's a lot of us talking. So I'm like, you know, um, and another thing is that the church has, you know, split up into splinter groups. So they're too busy fighting each other for, yeah. you know, I'm, they're just like some guys said something about us once, you know, so <laughs> yeah, they, they, their biggest threat is each other. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to say what I want now. Yeah. yeah. They need like, to find uh, out who gets to pee on each other. 
Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Aris, oh sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna, I was gonna yeah, say real quick. Like I, I don't want to personally. I, I, I don't want to joke about that because, like, anyway, I, I feel bad for those kids too. Like, they grew up in a really toxic system and they became toxic. So, I mean, they're a bunch of jerks now, but for the most part. But anyway, uh, all right. That, I just want to put that in. I actually did. Um, you know, in a very the the first like like 30 seconds of, of my podcast I mentioned like rape murder and suicide being some consequences of of direct or or indirect involvement with with growing up in the unification church or something something to that effect um, mm-hmm. um I I talked to a friend of mine over here who actually left another cult uh and he's been uh it's, it's quite awesome. So he was like the, the videographer for this cult and then he left. So he has like thousands of hours of footage of the, of the cult leader. And he's been like trying to figure out how to blow the whistle on him with that thing. But he's gotten like some legal, legal stuff thrown at him through, through that process. But he was helping me through, um, you know, the the kind of thinking, thinking about how I was going to, going to phrase things. And he was like, look, you, you might be a little too punchy in the way that you're, coming out here so i think i actually changed it i i i I think before then i didn't have the word like indirectly like directly or indirectly in there but he was like he was like look you might just want to like caveat this um uh and then and then and he's like but i think you're in the clear because all this is in the public record anyway you can see the rape you can see the murder you can see the suicide they're all in the public record um so you know there's there's I don't see what, what could be done legally about, you know, just someone telling the truth that that's already, that's already known. Mm. Yeah. Elgin, you came out pretty fucking swinging pretty hard, bro. Like some of the stuff mm. you would say in the intros and shit. I think we talked yeah. about it on my podcast. Yeah. You're like, yo, fuck Reverend Moon. And I was like, Oh, whoa. Okay. All right. Let's come on dog. Let's, well, let's build, you know, what I'm but uh, I appreciate it. It was, you know, I appreciate the the gusto, man. I, I think, you know, with, with that one, the, the thing is like the first three, like with Donna's, Aries and Teddy's, I think like, because those were, I, that was like all in the build up to the launch. I had a lot of time to think about it. And, and, and like, I just, I just listened to those episodes, those interviews over and over and over before I probably more than any other ones before I, before I did the intro and the outro. And so I think for yours, Aries, I was like, especially, especially mad. <laughs> Yeah, you came in hot, bro. I was listening to it. I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. No, I was really mad. Uh, I'm still am mad, um, but yeah. I feel like it's one of those, like, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention kind of things where yeah. it's like, of course it would make you mad <laughs> listening yeah. to our stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. exactly. Yeah, another thing I, I bring up in these conversations is that for every person who had a bad experience, there's a bunch of people who are more passive because like it didn't get to them. They were maybe more on the outskirts or maybe their parents were a little more kind of, they managed the church in their lives a little better. So I recognize that, you know, we all had particular, you know, bad experiences with certain things or whatever, or like these really like wake up moments, but not everyone has that. But I think this can be a way to be like, well, maybe you didn't have that, but this is what you're involved with. And this is what you're advocating and helping to spread. Yeah. So yeah. this is I've it. Shown, I've shown Jed a few messages that I got for like, people want my podcast to, to be like an all lives matter kind of situation. And I'm like, oh, man. 
But see, but you see both perspectives of the purity cult. Come on, man. Yeah, I, I've over the years. So my sister and I ran a blog called the summer of cheesecake years ago. And we used to get comments and messages along the lines of like, well, I'm sorry, that was your experience, but mm. you were, you had an extreme experience that is not indicative of the unification church experience. And I've gotten that shit yeah. multiple times. I still get it sometimes. And I think that the the important thing that you're doing, Elgin, is is you're saying no. This is these stories are coming out as part of a system of systemic mm. abuse. So yes, Teddy's point of like some people did grow up on the outskirts or maybe had more sane parents that were able to protect them from these things. But this is institutionalized abuse. So the people who are sharing these stories, their trauma is not. Uh, the exception. It is generally the norm. Mm. Yeah. The, yeah, the outliers of, are the healthy people. I kind of see it as like moving through stages where it feels like I was in that stage of thinking, oh my, it wasn't so bad. Like, I feel like that's a stage you go through yeah. or well, a lot I, of people yeah, go through is like, everyone does. Is like yeah. oh, I'm, I think I'm going to leave, but it wasn't so bad. And then you realize how fucked up it was later. When I first started seeing a therapist and I'd tell her my stories and I'd watch her reactions or she'd be like, oh my God, that's so abusive. Like it would not, it wouldn't click in my head. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Because again, normal meter is broken. So yeah, I I completely understand what you're saying. But sometimes Mm -hmm. until you've processed, until you've learned, until you realized like, oh, there's like Teddy was saying, there's a whole like system and there are, there's psychology around these things until you realize that it is easy to be like, no, that was, that was just my experience. That's what happened. It was okay. And then you're like, oh wait, no. Yeah. And I feel like I recognize that some parents were more abusive than others, but it still feels a little bit like any amount of this shit is pretty rough. Like, Like, mm-hmm. if you're in the church, that means you were told that Reverend Moon was your, like, true father. And, like, the, I don't know. There's just, like, so many implications of that that's not very healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, and that's just one aspect. Yeah. That's, like, one. But but think yeah, about the repercussions of that one tiny thing. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's rough, I guys. The, I think the beauty... <laughs> Yeah, but I think like the beauty of sharing these stories is like you get to see these themes starting to emerge, you know, and like, I mean, granted, like, you know, when I first like agreed to share my story, like, I'm like, it's not that bad. Like, because great, like, I had fun at Camp Sunrise, like, I have some good memories, like, you know, New Eden was horrible, but I came out with it, you know, with some good friends, like, you know, like, it was there were some good memories there. There, you know, I, I did like, you know, meeting up for those like God's day ceremonies and like getting to see people I hadn't seen in a long time, you know? So I think like you gravitate to those good memories, but then as you like hear these recurring themes, like you guys said, it's just like, it's systemic. It's, you know, these are my relationships with my parents and this is my relationship with myself now, like now that I've left, like these are the things that are affecting my life and I can connect the dots. Like I can take this and I can pull it back here. And, you know, it's just like developing the language around how to talk about those things that I think is really the beauty of what we're sharing here. Yeah. You know, that we're all kind of weaving this tapestry together and putting these stories together. And it's, you know, it's creating this, this 
dynamic where we can feel validated in ways that we, I don't know, I personally didn't feel when I was, when I was part of it. I also feel like it's a whole Mm -hmm. part of the abuse cycle to have like good memories. Like there's a reason why like Mm -hmm. people will beat their partners and then bring them roses the next day. It's like, if it was all terrible all the time, we would have probably run away when we were six years old. Yeah. Yeah. Like there was like love bombing was literally invented by our church. Like, like this is like a, there it's like part of the manipulation almost so mm-hmm. no it is that exactly ma- that still poisons us today because we have people being like oh it wasn't that bad it wasn't that bad i really liked parts of it and it's like yeah there's so much i liked and i missed too but i see it all as part of the problem now like you were mm-hmm. saying donna kind of yeah. yeah it's the rotten fruit you know it's the rotten fruit on the table like it looks seems beautiful and then you pick it up and it's all soft and rotten on the inside and I feel like that's the facade of the unification church you know on the outside it's like oh family values and let's talk about love and let's talk about you know um bringing that divorce rates and how important children are but you know when you kind of like lift it up it's like oh well you know talk about sex trafficking and labor trafficking and you know all those other other things that have come up over the course of this season you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it literally pits. It's demonstrating. Uh, yeah. It literally mm-hmm. pits uh, parents as church members against their children's autonomy. Like it literally mm-hmm. divides families, like healthy families. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. All right, Jen, I think you were going to say something before. I was just going to, you know. Uh, support what Aquino is saying in terms of the cycle of abuse, like love bombing is exactly part of the narcissistic abuse cycle. And so it is, you love bomb them and then you tear them down. And so those happy Mm. memories can fit into that system perfectly. And I like the thing that I say, and I've, I've been blogging about this, trying to connect like domestic violence with coercive control. They're all, you know, cultic abuse is on the coercive control spectrum. You would never say to a woman that was beaten by her partner. Um, <laughs> you would never say to a woman who was beaten by her partner. Well, there were, there were some good moments, weren't there? Like, it wasn't all bad. He may have sent you to the hospital and broken your arm, but it wasn't all bad. Like, you would be such an asshole to say that. So to say that to somebody who is in a cult, it's it, to me, it has that same flavor. Yeah, totally. And I think, I think to say that, sorry. And I think we say that to ourselves, you know, I caught myself saying that to myself, like, Oh, it wasn't that bad. And like, that's what the the church does. It, It puts you into an abusive relationship with yourself. Well, Elgin was saying we gaslit ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, I was actually right before this, I was in a biweekly ex-cult workshop. So um, one thing someone was talking about was, uh, or, or the, the facilitator was talking about how uh, we have to betray ourselves in order to survive the relationship within a cultic sphere, you know? So like you have, I forgot what it's called. It's like something amnesia, like betrayal amnesia, I think it's called where, you know, as a habit, you forget the bad things that they do in order to pretend, you know, that everything's fine so that you can survive in this like really closed environment. So, and that's something that, you know, therapy 
And just, you know, processing that has to happen after because like that can carry on as a bad habit in your life. And that's, you know, something I have to do. Like, you know, I've been friends with very destructive people and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, just just say again, th- these are known patterns and they have names and, uh, you know, it, they're great to learn about. All right, guys, I think we should get wrapping up here. It's getting late over here on my side. Um, but just want to kind of see if anyone has any like closing, closing thoughts um, or remarks. Uh, I just want to say to anyone that's listening to this, uh, thank you for listening to us. And also um, thank you for sharing your stories. I hope that um, you know that there's people out there that you can talk to. Uh, and that you're not alone and um feel free to contact me i'm sure anyone else would be happy to hear from you too but um if you if you want to talk about anything message me yeah and i'd like to say like if you're listening to this and you're young and trying to and it's not resonating with you right now that's normal if you're like 16 17 in the church give it give it another shot another year or something you know like you change like as you grow older, you become more um, open to the fact that this church might not be it. So if you come across this podcast at not the right time in your life, you might not get enough out of it, but revisit it. That's what I think. Many of us have mentioned therapy. So if you're looking for a cult aware therapist, the International Cultic Studies Association, ICSAHome.com has a list of counseling resources and therapy is demonized in the church, but it is one of the most amazing gifts that you can give to yourself. Yeah. And if you don't like the therapist, you are assigned to or you go in the beginning, you just go for a couple uh sessions if you don't like them just change it you're dating it yeah it's like you're on the outside if you don't like something just change it up so um try a couple of therapists i went to like quite a few before i found the one that really works for me And ICSA also has um, recovery workshops for second generation adults. That's where I met my therapist. And you can kind of like see people interacting in real life. And that's super helpful and can cut down some of that dating time, if you will, to find the right person. Mm. I would also say like uh, when I was super poor, like last year, no, just like a couple (laughs) years ago and starting out with therapy, I went to like community clinics, which were like really helpful at the time. But sometimes I feel like young therapists who aren't well-trained, they can be kind of rough. They don't, if they don't have that um, experience with cults. So feel free to be really choosy and like ask for, ask around. Like my therapist now is like kind of a teacher to other therapists. So she's like, has a lot of experience so like what Jen was saying like you need someone who's ha- is used to complex trauma yeah and I remember um on how well do you know your moon uh they said like if we could pick one book for like cult survivors to read um it was take back your life by Yanya mm-hmm. Lalich and Madeline Tobias and that was the book I just like I was just like all right I'll see what this is about 
And because again, it spelled out all the, all these things I was experiencing that I didn't really know were a thing like PTSD symptoms and like derealization, depersonalization, that kind of stuff. Like I was a quote unquote spaced out kid, but really it was the pressure of just having to live a double life and stuff uh, where the moons lived in the same town, going to that public school. So like, just all of that, like it just naturally led me to, to seek a therapist. So for the first time I was, I wasn't trying quote unquote, a therapist. I was like, I know that they, I know what they know now kind of. And so now I can like just naturally walk into this and like have these conversations. Mm. So um, there's a whole community of like ex cult people. And, you know, in the, in any cult, they're going to be like ex cult people. They're going to, you're going to yeah. think that their methods are going to be like the church's methods of like bringing you into an aggressive, like indoctrination workshop, you know, but it's not like that. You go at your own pace. You have to manage it. You're the, you're the customer. They're your employee. Yeah. You have to ask for like what you need from them. So like, that's up to you, you know, like, uh, but um, yeah, I'll just put that out there. That, that was the book that really, yeah. Yeah. It seems like, yeah, both for both you and I was, it was at that same book. And I I think also just, just something else is like for people who are interested, like, so one thing that I did, I didn't mention this, Donna, Donna, but um, when you asked me like why I started this, but I guess it was over a year now, I took a course on, it's called the social psychology of cults. Um, uh, It was run by Alex Stein, uh, who's uh, like a a well-known psychologist in this, in this field. Um, And you know, it was like 12 weeks, like a two hour course once, once a week in the evening. But number one, I met a bunch of cult survivors in that course, which is cool. But number two, it's, it's, it's just like a very academic breakdown of like, this is, these are the commonalities between cults. And these are, these are like the mechanism of control and how they tend to operate across cults. Uh, And I would say like, you know, if you're listening to this and you're, and you're still in, in the unification church, then go take a course like that and just understand how cults operate uh, to, to begin with. Um, And then, you know, ask yourself if that, if some of those generalities about how they, how they operate in general, apply to, to your situation, just, just ask yourself that. Um, And that might be an interesting step to take. Um, Because it was interesting for me. Um, I feel like everyone's had a closing closing argument except for Donna. Donna, Donna, what, what what you got? Yeah, I think I think the other thing that I just want to mention is, you know, for anybody who's left or who's you know left a long time ago, you know, I just want to say that you're valuable. Your experiences are valid. You know, you're worthy, and the things that happen to you are not your fault. You were born into a system of institutionalized systemic abuse. You know, these things happen to you and there's absolutely um, a way out of this, you know, and I think everybody shared a lot of wonderful resources. And, you know, I, I think what's important to remember is like, you're not, you're not what happened to you. You know, mm-hmm. you are perfect and you are valuable just the way you are right now. And um, that's it. Yeah. And I think just to, just to dive mm-hmm. into that, like, I think something about me, like taking, taking that course and reading those books, I was like, yeah, kind of to your point, like I, I am me and what happened to me it, it, is its own thing. But now that I know that that's part of this, this, 
you know, pattern of abuse that's happened historically, you know, for forever uh, in various, in various guises. It's like, I can put a name to it and I can be like, look, that happened to me, but it doesn't define me. Um, and it, it makes it easier to, to go out and speak about it and be like, look, this is something that happened to me. It doesn't, it doesn't make me, me. Uh, and then when you, once you know the, the name and you recognize that the fact that it's something that that's happened is, you know, you know, forever, basically you're, it makes it easier to just be like, yeah, okay, this is, that happened to me and it doesn't, it doesn't define me. Um, and it just made it easier, easier to talk about it. Um, right. Should we, uh, should we end it there? Anyone have anything else they'd like to add? No. All right. All right. It's out there. It's done. It's done. All right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna press stop now. We'll, we'll, we'll keep the session open. You know what's funny is, once we stopped recording, we just kept talking for a long time. The conversation just kept going, and I guess to me that just really highlights what I said at the beginning of this is, which is, I just feel. So much love for these people, and I'm just so glad that they got involved and were willing to share so much. And I hope that you, as a listener, have gotten some value out of that. And a couple of things that, that just strike me now, as after listening to this, is uh, number one in this episode, I talked about how every conversation I have, I feel like that's the craziest one that I'm ever gonna have, or the craziest one that I've ever had, and that has continued into the recording of season two. Because as you will see when the next episode comes out, I think that is by far the craziest conversation I have had, the craziest, most shocking conversation I've had. And my hope is that I'll prove Teddy wrong in terms of getting struck by the second album, Curse. Personally, I think all the critics will be silenced between episode one and two alone. Just saying. Thank you, everyone, for coming this far if you have any questions or comments we'd love to hear from you i'm on twitter at falling out pod i'm on instagram at falling out pod incidentally there are portraits of various folks up on the instagram feed i'm going to release a photo of the tape on instagram maybe on twitter too so you should check things out over there if you'd like to contribute financially i would certainly appreciate it you can do so at patreon.com slash falling out pod if you have anything to say we'd love to hear from you thank you so much to everyone for getting involved And I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.